keep it simple. Fear no man. In everything by whisper and groan, pray for the dying men. With thanksgiving in your heart for Jesus, beg for the souls of your countrymen, your children, and this age. The peace which God alone declares shall guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Bold as water he is, thick as blood. And whatever is noble then, whatever is true, whatever is just and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and what may be of good report, if there is any virtue in anything, whatever be then worthy of man's praise, meditate on these things as such beloved creations of God, which you, his redemption incarnate, may now see as the bridge of trust building between yourself and all opponents to the gospel, which is the fact that he has risen and you are paid for That makes you immortal now. He won't be long. The water sealed it. The food feeds it. That's Christianity. You should join us. Good morning. Welcome to Saturday Morning Chill. Did that go well? That was page 18 of my book, Talk Them Into It. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to be looking into this a little bit more in... uh, (laughs) I got excited about that. I'm sorry. I'm all energized now. Jazz. Um... We're going to be looking at this a little bit more this morning. That page that we looked at, page 18, uh, we're going to dig through that a little more slowly. Uh, you can hear how the book is not necessarily written to be read like a story, right? It's written to be read like a meditation, like something to consider over time. And it is to help you, well, learn to talk to your friends and neighbors about Jesus Christ, how he has risen, all those good things. But we also got your questions and answers from both Common Sense, the world, and Run Through the Lens of Holy Scripture as we normally do on the Saturday morning chill. That sounded kind of not so normal for my introduction. I I turned my entire that direction. Like if you could see past this camera right here, I'm not going to show you. (laughs) Um, I, I overhauled the entire thing. The last year of my life has made me feel like I'm living in a, um, like a, like a, well, this is really speaking too highly of myself. Uh, like I'm living in a Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man world in which, like, every, I don't know, few years for him, it's every few months for me, there's this really important thing you got to work on, and so you have to rebuild a whole new toolbox to use it for, and so all the stuff you use normally to work gets thrown in the air. All the books get moved, all the shelves get moved around, and I don't know, somehow there's also a thought process that happens for me in that. I remember in Getting Things Done by David Allen, he does talk about how if you're really stuck on a problem in math, go clean a drawer and then come back, because your brain just needs to function on a different level for a minute to absorb the information. And I, I don't know, Buddhist guy who tells everyone how to be good businessmen. Uh, right? Uh, but there's something to the idea uh, that there's a creative process that goes on in cleaning. Uh, and so my, my, my space that's over here, which I'm, I'm like a rabbit. I don't know how to explain this. It's really weird. But if you watch a rabbit, cats are this way, dogs are this way, we happen to have a rabbit. Their space is very important to them. And when they venture out from their space, and rabbits are especially like this, um, they, they kind of go and come back and go and come back, right? And then if you take any animal that has a space that is its own and you clean it, you ever notice how when they come back, what do they do? They, they go nuts on it. They roll on it and they 
maybe even do more on it to make sure it smells like them again, right? Well, I'm not talking about that for us humans exactly, but there is a, a rootedness that you find in your space, right? And there's a lot of, I can't think of it, feng shui, right? So the feng shui, paganism, worship of your space is devoted to the idea that in the first article creation, what God made, your space does matter. Proximity is a reality. You're a physical body, not just a breath or a mind. Uh, you're, you're an incorporated reality. And so your spaces matter. For that reason, overhauling your spaces too often is not really great on the psyche. <laughs> it's like stress. Right? It's anxiety. If you clean your rabbit's cage, uh, I'm on the rabbit again. Sorry. If you clean your rabbit's cage every day, he's not going to be a happy rabbit, right? Uh, and so this is also the case for, say, families when they live with men who overhaul Robert Downey Jr. style, you know, what industrial. We're in. We're in. What did he, what's he say in the movie? We're in destruction mode. It's we're in, we're in overhaul mode. The whole room. Thank goodness it doesn't spill out into the house anymore. I used to try to do it at the house. I finally learned. Keep it in. Keep it in the study, Jonathan. Keep it in the study. Anyhow, so I'm off this morning. If I feel different to you, it's because I feel different to me. But we're still going to be doing your questions and answers from the scriptures as much as possible. In fact, why don't we got jump right over to that right now? Even though I still want to talk about how it is the desire to get ahead that always always gets in the way of the church. I moved my, these things around. It's like this number right here. Did that work? It did work. I almost went to the full new setup with the the computer returned. And then I pulled that idea at the last minute because there was just too much in Ecamm to switch over. But um, anyway, for those of you who are following that quest, dear heavens, do I get to level up ever? (laughs) Uh, But uh, we got, we got lots of information from you guys this week asking about all manner of things. First, Birak says this, and I apologize if the pronunciation isn't quite right. It sounds like it might be Hebrew. Hello, Pastor Fisk. I've been slowly making my way out of my lifelong evangelical church into a local LCMS congregation. And I would say, like, from our Lutheran perspective, that's like, great, cool. That means somewhere you discovered that the gospel, that Jesus gives what he gives to you by grace alone, which you believe, right? And that faith alone, which you believe in, is the way that you trust in Jesus to salvation, that this can't be separated from the sacraments, the mysteries of certain words Jesus said about things like the Lord's Supper, which are real, uh, present, and those are even kind of soft words that he's physically and locally being swallowed by us. And that that is something you need, even if you have to give up some of the the more feelies, right? The more feelies. And maybe you realize on the way out the door that the feelies were what you were worshiping all along, right? So you might even have like a a gut reaction against that world. Um, It depends on on what your trajectory was. But really, it's about realizing that grace and the sacraments cannot be separated from each other. This is why Wittenberg is the middle road between Rome and everybody who's not Rome, discounting the East who are their own little mixed bag of lots, right? So anyhow, so you, I, just say, I want to say good, but what you're going to talk about next and what is a real thing is that just because you found the doctrine of grace in the sacraments doesn't mean you found it practiced and it doesn't mean you found it believed. <laughs> uh, you may even still be officially practiced and, and not believed, which is really a fascinating thing to see. Hence the debate and acronym, not acronym, what do we call it? moniker is kind of a, a self-assumed joke, but you will hear it in parlance and the LCMS, uh, the, the dead orthodoxy, uh, a reference to some good and some struggle right, on a number of levels. In any case, so you've come to a Lutheran understanding of the scriptures through guys like me. Great. That's awesome. Hopefully, in general, that's what all Christians are trying to do, no matter what, is come to a knowledge of the scriptures. And you are, I'm thankful 
for the clarity and comfort they now bring. Amen to that, right? So the book's not made, it's not there to make you afraid. Uh, and it's not there to bind your conscience to think you have to prove yourself to God or else. Uh, it's there to declare to you what God is doing for you and what, in faith alone, you can't stop. Right? It, can't, it can't be undone. And in faith alone, you get to receive it all. And then there's this great war against your flesh, which God is fighting, and you're, you're brought alongside. Right? It's, it is an amazing pivot in the mind when you, when you make that leap. With that said, now, okay, continuing on, you struggle with guilt or rather a lack thereof. You mean you didn't bring an entire bag of Lutheran like trauma with you? Oh, you poor thing. No, no, really. You count your blessings and you're fine. But let, we'll go on and talk about it because guilt's a really important topic. But it is, it is important to know this, that, that inner Lutheran culture in America is, is not without a share of just sociocultural baggage. And, and if you're coming to Christianity, from Christianity, generally speaking, into Lutheran churches, generally speaking, you're going to find a lot of it. <laughs> uh, is there, they were culturally run institutions based on ethnicity and language, largely. And so there's just all manner of leftovers. And it depends on where you are. So you can't say what I just said there and then go to the, you know, whatever's closest to you and be like, wow, they're going to be all awful. I mean, they might be amazing. I, it depends, right? It, there is no real brand anymore on this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to build a new one, but it, well, whatever that means, it's in the white noise, as you know, right? So, uh, okay, so so you don't struggle with the guilt you see everyone else maybe struggling with, yeah? Uh, and you're like, what do I do with this? Does this mean I'm not a believer? Because since I don't have the guilt, maybe I don't really believe my sin. And I'm like, yes, I've created guilt. <laughs> the wrong kind, though, neurotic guilt, that's just ignoring the fact that Jesus is risen and he's got you. And that what you are experiencing right now is what he thinks you need to experience to understand his word. And so if he hasn't given you enough guilt yet, you're not going to create more in a healthy way. What are you trying to do? (laughs) What do you you think it is? You got it backwards, right? You know, if you didn't bring guilt with you into the gospel, that's marvelous. You're unashamed. Now, this doesn't mean that maybe you shouldn't be guilty on some other level. I have no idea who you are. You might be, you know, have dead people in your freezer that you're, you're chewing on throughout winter months. I don't know. Uh, but, but if you're not feeling guilt, and generally speaking, you think the Ten Commandments publicly you've kept uh, in every way, um, that you're striving to keep them now, that you're in Jesus Christ, baptized into him, it's really okay not to have to, like, mourn constantly. Now, with that said, when you come into the divine service and you have something like, I am a poor, miserable sinner, it is very, very important to meditate on what those words mean as God speaks to you about where you are. So that no matter how good I feel, and there are times I feel good. I could use a few more, I suppose, but there are times I feel good. No matter how good I feel, uh, that is never uh, my faith. It's never sufficient to be called the extent of my faith or a result of my faith, nor is it sufficient to fail to see what poor and miserable state I still remain in, even in the best moment. The best moment is when I see that it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Those are the most high moments of faith in my life. Oh, it's, it's actually all going to burn. And so the next thing I do, what really matters is whoever's closest to me. This very moment. It's just a very different thing, though, than uh, walking around trying to self-analyze, you know, where on earth is my guilt and how do I feel ashamed like all these other people who are struggling with what really is trauma that's been unaddressed. Because socioeconomic, socioemotional, uh, family system, whatever bunch of words you want to throw in to talk about when humans engage each other, 
there are sinful patterns that emerge over time and we can observe them and they get different and unique. And sometimes they, they create what we could observe and call trauma. Not all civilizations are always doing this quite all the time, I think. Um, but certainly uh, there is some in those Germanic cultures that came from snowbound, uh, tight village societies in, in, into America. And I, I, I don't know who's done enough work on this or if anyone really has, but it's observable. It definitely is observable. And so for you Christians who are coming into that, just kind of know that. Um, and <laughs> there's other things I could share with you that are a little more personal about us as, as an ethnicity, honestly. Um, but the, the, the real thing that matters is that the reason you would become a Lutheran ever is not because of an ethnicity. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity. In fact, it, it tar- I don't say tarnishes, but it does a little bit. It, it takes to heart this claim that all nations are to be discipled in Jesus Christ's words and, and his, well, his sacraments, which come as part of his words. Baptism even mentions right there, right? But all Christians are to be discipled in that way. Baptism and what Jesus says. All nations, I meant to say, not just all Christians. Of course, all Christians, but all nations, all ethne in the Greek there, Matthew 28, great commission, right? All ethne, not like countries, not like borders, not the things they gerrymander and use to keep you taxed more. (laughs) No, no, all families, all tribes, all heritages, all groups of people who associate with the bloodline because, well, your health actually does get impacted by it. Not only that, but wouldn't you know, the way you talk, the way you're interchanged, the way your emotions are run, the story you tell yourself, it has a lot to do with your ethne. And this doesn't have to be about black or white, although it's not not about that, but certainly you can experience this within white and white and within black and black, which is why black on black crime is a very real thing in the world. Okay, so go look it up, facts and feelings, all that. So, all right, do you need then to adopt our ethne in order to grab the orthodoxy and the organizations that we have left No, (laughs) you do not. However, just know the organizations are being fought over by hirelings by and large who, who, not all, not all, no, don't do that. But there are a lot of um, attempts to control the monies that is driving the thinkings. And as a result, well, if you want to get into that, you can. And if we had like, what, 100,000 evangelicals to drop in the LCMS, you could actually take it over and reboot the institutions. It, we, we have that much still left. We just don't have the willpower to really make tough decisions like the evangelicals usually will, right? And so, well, whatever. I'm not in that battle to fight it. Uh, my point again is if you're going to come into this ethne and what we've got left because of your discovery of the scriptures, then grab on to what we have left that holds to that, which is your local church constitution that points to it and says the scriptures are the only way we make any decisions here, and that it also says you should really read the Augsburg Confession and the Formula of Concord and the Large Catechism because it's also going to help you understand the best way to make decisions here, right? That's why you're coming in. Not for some sociocultural experience, whatever the worship style is, whether it's got smells and bells and whistles, like I'd love to have it have, hmm? or, or whether you're still in a rock and roll paradigm, it'll fade, guys, it'll fade. Um, it's, it's not that you don't want to have folk music. I think we should have folk singing music, but um, the rock show, it's expensive and hard to do, and it really doesn't work, and it's, it's going to fade. Anyway, you know, that, that's just a thing. <laughs> uh, you, Barriock, rejoice that you're in a church where, regardless of what you feel, and maybe even regardless of what you see, what you know you're hearing is closer to the scriptures than where you were out on the wastelands. Rejoice 
And don't feel guilty about not having guilt. <laughs> it's like, come on, let the rest of us have enough guilt for you, right? We're, we're probably good for you. Um, let us deal with our trauma, right? We will overcome it. And, uh, and <laughs> like good Germans in good order, we will deal with our problems. And <laughs> hopefully uh, your news perspective on, well, some of these questions that are going to come up later, in fact, about how do we, why don't Lutherans talk about Jesus? Um, well, we need that. We need the cross-pollination right now, uh, really, really badly. Uh, so, um, all right. Uh, da, 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 da. I feel uneasy whenever I don't feel guilty and worry that I'm deceiving myself or that my heart is being hardened. I mean, are you looking at a specific sin? Like, like you've got the ice pick in your hand and you're murdering the person. And you're like, well, I don't feel bad about it. And then later you're like, well, I should have felt bad about it, but I don't. I mean, is that what you're talking about? And, and, and I use the ad absurdum not to dismiss your claim, but to try to ask, say to you, you know, how bad is this that you're really – what is the guilt you think you should have? Where's the logic that tells you be guilty right now? Because if you can find that in the Ten Commandments, you should feel guilty and go talk to your pastor. Done. Like, go away. Talk to your pastor, right? But if you can't find that, if you're not actually, like, breaking sin daily, and again, and you won't stop, and you kind of don't want to either, right? Well, like, then ease off on yourself a touch. <laughs> Just touch. Um, yeah, it's a good thing you found uh, the gospel because it sounds like you have plenty of guilt already <laughs> yeah, from what I'm, where I'm sitting. So, so my question is this, you asked though, and it's a really good question. What is the proper relationship between a Christian and their feelings of guilt? I know that I cannot be the only member of the chill who struggles with this question. Thank you for all you do and God bless. Well, thank you, Brock. Um, it's a very good question. And I don't think, I mean, I, I gotta say, I can't possibly do it justice without going into some sort of discerning study of the different ways the words, plural, for guilt are used in the New Testament, right? And then going through that. And I can't do that right now off the cuff. I'm not, I'm not that guy. <laughs> um, but what I can say is, is that guilt is a complicated thing in New Testament language. So when we just use one word, guilt, it, it doesn't really fairly capture all the edges we need to deal with in what scripture says about the experience we mean when we say guilt. It's like this huge tent, okay? And the scriptures want you to ponder not so much a huge tent that just makes you feel bad, right? It wants you to ponder the result of you being from the root of Adam still and like knowing it's going to die and coming to terms with it's going to die. There's an inter-Lutheran debate that I don't want to weigh in on right now at all about radical Lutheranism and, um, I don't know what you call it, third use of the law, Lutheranism. And I think they talk past each other, and I think there's mistakes on both sides. But there's a, there's a phrase from the radical Lutherans, so-called, that's pretty useful for this, which is that sanctification, if by it we mean the experience of the Christian life, and I don't always use it that way because the Bible doesn't always use it that way, and the other way is more valuable. Sanctification meaning your proximity to Jesus, literally, like the Lord's Supper, right? It's a holy moment. You are sanctified. Um, but if we're going to use it to mean the experience you have as a sanctified by Jesus person now being continually experiencing that sanctifying that you're proximated to Jesus into suffering for it in the world, right? So, sanctification as an experience then is largely getting used to the fact that you're justified. And, and that, that's so exactly right. Now you can take that and teach falsely. You can teach that and take that and teach truly like any truth. So take it for the truth and teach it truly. Sanctification is getting used to. It is believing you are justified, not as an excuse unto evil, 
But is there a reason to stop the evil? And so you would meditate on the fact that I don't feel poor. But God says I am because if I'm rich in things, I may not be as poor in spirit as I think. And if you live in the States and speak English, you're rich in things. Right? So, so it's, it's, it's meditation for the faith to continue believing on, on ideally a more authentic level. What you confess to be true. And if God wants to reveal to you that you have some hidden guilt you need to deal with, he's going to do it. <laughs> you don't need to worry about him taking care of that. That's, that's the very promises he's going to give you. That in the sanctification, that's getting used to justification, he's going to expose for you everything that's wrong with you. You're going to see it. You're not going to repent of it without feeling it. <laughs> so I just, like, I just spread COVID on my screen, I suppose. I don't have COVID at all, but whatever. Uh, take the mask down and cough, huh, Biden? Um. <laughs> I, it, that was so distracting to me, by the way. You may not have seen it, but I saw it. Um, that I now have forgotten what I was laughing about before. So I'm just going to come back to, so what should a Christian's relationship with guilt be? It should be that when you, have an, when, you, when you look at the meditating words of Scripture, so whether it's paraphrased in the poor, miserable sinner confession of the LCMS's historic liturgy, or, or whether it is just considering, say, the, the text of scripture, scripture that say, you know, sinful from the womb. Right, those kinds of things. And what does that mean? Guilt means I, not that, right? That pondering, but, but it carries that, and it should. That there is a, there's a soul work of owning the consequences of your sinfulness in real time, in real confession, in real pondering of the heart that doesn't have to be the woe is me, kind of, I'm addicted and can't get out of it guilt, right? And there is overlap between the way that, uh, in at least the circles I was raised, guilt is understood and addictive behaviors. No question about that. So all this is to say, the proper relationship is that when you look at the Ten Commandments, you judge your life according to them. And you acknowledge every time, oh, you know, I didn't do it perfectly this time. I really could do better. And the reason I want to do better is not so much because I'm worried about God beating me up. It's because when I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, there was that moment where if I had just gotten over myself, I could have done more good. But I didn't get over myself. And I thought I was more important. My plans, whatever, right? And, well, assessing that and acknowledging that while also saying, like, look— if you're going to come into church and do great evil and then speak great evil and then leave and then come back and do it again the next week, like that's not okay either. <laughs> yeah. So the pondering of sin as a group is meant to keep us all on a path of just checking ourselves every week. And maybe every week you don't have to go neck deep on, on, on wound care, right? Uh, but every week you do need to receive what Jesus is there to give, which is the declaration that, all your sins, known and unknown, are divorced from you in his declaration, and that he's already sealed that in the washing of regeneration, and that if you would like to experience it again in sanctifying, justifying holiness, you can take and eat and believe that that simple moment of pretty meager, humble even, experience is the greatest thing in the history of the world, all rolled into one package that never ends and continues with you out the door. Wow, what a thing, right? Like, should that leave you feeling guilty? You're supposed to go home and feel guilty after that? No! You're supposed to go home and feel like you can fight back against the guilt that keeps accusing you. It accuses and accuses and accuses until you just can't even do anything anymore and you numb it with TV and sugar, 
right? And, and so that voice is a liar. That voice is you. That voice is your flesh. And all the pagans talk about the self-talk, and they're right. They understand that the flesh has an awful self-talk. It's always accusing you. Now, does that mean that it never is telling the truth? No. Does that mean that the antidote is positive self-talk? No. It means the antidote is true self-talk, right? Self-talk formed and, and manipulated and graduated by the Holy Scriptures themselves, which, if you read them, will tell you where to feel guilty and where not to. Join the sons of Solomon and start praying these psalms. I'm, I'm telling you. They've got guilt in them, and they've got joy in them. And you go through all of it, and it's marvelous, and it's every day. I got a guy here locally, a friend of mine. He's also kind of on the potential path of ministry through the congregation. And I was, he did some work for the, the uh, internet and whatnot for us. And I was sharing with him at a meeting with a bunch of people at the meeting, uh, the, just the Sons of Solomon prayer, right? And you can go find it at the Discord. People can share it here in the links. So I don't have to go through it right now. Um, but those, those psalms to do every day as a clock, as a creedal clock for your life, to set against the clocks of the world, right? That the word of God is going to form who you are. I pitched it on the whiteboard with a bunch of other stuff. He texts me two days later. He says, those psalms are amazing. Can I do some more stuff with it for the congregation? I'm like, yes, another one has been hooked. Right? It's, it is. You want, you want something to get hooked on. Um, try these psalms. Ladies, we've got a special one for you as well. And uh, I, again, I'm sure it can get shared on the side or you can find it on the Mad Christian Discord, which I haven't talked to you about yet this morning. The Mad Christian Discord is a network for you to find others who want to study the scriptures and be formed by grace alone, faith alone in Jesus Christ in a dark and evil age where there's all sorts of stuff going on all over the place. But we also know our rising tide does lift all ships. And so under my banner, you can come and hang out and meet the people who follow me, watch me, look at me, whatever, for whatever good reason, point fingers at me. <laughs> uh, and and learn from them as well, because there's a great deal of wisdom being brought together, especially as we talk about things like, hey, my life had these traumatic things, and I've come this far, and here's how, and how could you do this? Like, with limited reason. It's, a, it's an online network, right? But that's just it. It's an online network that's not selling you anything other than me. Hi. <laughs> uh, you know, and you can support me on Patreon, and, and that's all set up for you to go do that. It's not that tough. Um, but that, yeah, that's what it's for, there for, is to, is to help you. Uh, I keep finding people who ask me, what about this? What about that? And so often the answer is you need to meet this person. You need to be that person, right? So uh, it's like having a little back book that I have open and here it is right here. Look there. Uh, and I'm not always there, right? But other people are. In any case, um, get involved in that. Uh, if you want to know more about the Sons of Solomon prayers and Barak, uh, if you haven't started those prayers yet, forming your conscience with those prayers as a liturgy. Liturgy just mean at this point, at least a religious, a repetitive, a, a ritual, um, a devotion, a, a, a spiritual reality that you practice, right? It, that's really the word, a practice, uh, a religion that you practice. Do you want to have that? Okay, let's start with some milk, which is the Ascension Psalms. And my, are they some chewy milk. So that's, that's my push to you, all right? That's my push to you. All right, I moved a bunch of buttons around. I feel like I need a little small break, and so we're just going to do it. We'll be back in just a moment to take on questions dealing with things like what? Uh, things like whatever you can see, and I can't read fast enough. We'll be right back. Your body is a clock. I'm convinced of this now. This is my own crazy, right? I'm the mad Christian. I can share some crazy. Your body's a clock. 
Now, I'd love to talk to a physicist over a three to four hour conversation about whether or not light can be a clock and whether or not that's the sol- how we solve the problem of string theory. I'm an idiot. I don't know much. I read like two books, okay? But, but what I know <laughs> is that your body's a clock. It's built like a clock. It acts like a clock. And if you try to make it function on a clock that's not your body, it's going to hurt eventually. Now, I'm not saying this is the antidote to all of life's problems. But it might be the problem with modernism in general, right? That there is a number on a device, a, a techne of some kind. There's a number that sits there, and it is a god to you. Straight up, a god to you. Now, you don't believe it's a god. You don't call it a god. And it's not the kind of god that's made you not a Christian yet. <laughs> but it is a god to you. You give it devotion. You look to it for truth. You trust it implicitly. You will change how you feel on an instant because of it. You will even mm, create conflict with those you love the most because it demands that you do. Now, maybe you don't, but I did. <laughs> and I'm done with that, God. Uh, I got a clock right there. It's 9.30, Saturday morning, October 24th, 2020 in the AM. It tells me all those things. I'm not going to throw that clock away. Uh but I'm going to realize that there is a clock God built for me called my body or my nephesh in the Hebrew, my life, my spirit, or the bios, I mean the chi, I don't know what you want to call it. Whatever you are, it's all of you. You don't leave it behind when you die except you do the dust part, but well, that gets com- complex, resurrection talk. Now, this body that you are that regenerates itself from the food you eat every seven years so that even your bones are like different than the ones you're born with, but it's still you, right? That body uh, is a clock. That clock has an on and off switch of sorts. Well, you could call it day and night. <laughs> you could call it, you know, a sleep cycle. These are clock things. They're, they're not, they don't put them into a machine that's on a wall. It's a machine that walks around and calls itself by your name. Okay, so why am I saying this? Why is it important? There's a lot I think you can draw out of this. If you, uh, I wrote an article for Mad Mondays, my newsletter. You should sign up for it, redfist.com slash newsletter. Go. Um, wrote an article for Mad Mondays two weeks ago about the shift in time, right, and, and how we've just edged the millennium. I didn't make this up. I'm reading this from other people, and I agree with them. They're right. Uh, I, I think then this truly um, modernism has failed moment, right, uh, is going to break, it already has, COVID, broke the clock. Thank God, it's jarred enough of us off of it. They're like, what happened to our God? I can't find a place to stand anymore. My God is gone and I trust him so much. Where shall I put my trust now? And the government's all, vote for us. Right? <laughs> and I'm all, read the Psalms, people. Okay, I just did all the leaps right there to go fast, but, but here's the result, right? If your body's a clock that tick, 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 night, day, night, day, on, off, on, off, don't you want like a couple of key milestones that tell you where you are that aren't tied to somebody else's agenda to sell you stuff that's going to kill you? So, so how about you just take a morning psalm, you don't have to do mine, take a morning psalm, a day psalm, an afternoon psalm, an evening psalm, say the same ones every day for a year. You'll have a clock that's built of your body's Breath, nephesh, spirit, word. Oh, it's like I'm being pulled out of the sinking water by Jesus. You know, I mean, it's amazing. It is amazing to experience life without the demands of Kronos. The clock of your body awakens 
in need of breath that tells a story that's worth believing. Who do you listen to first? Who do you listen to second? Do you tell yourself a story? Are you part of one or you just let everyone else tell you how it is? Hmm? See what I'm saying? So, so, this idea, I think, is so powerful. If you really want to be an independent thinker in this world, I mean, this, doesn't, this isn't just a Christian idea. This is, this is first article built into nature stuff. Words. The, the idea that words are things, but you can't touch them. They're unseen powers. That a wizard, really, isn't someone who does magic. It's just someone who talks really well. <laughs> right? Words. You can create a clock that does not make you submit to the stories of men as a story, a true meta-narrative that permanently changes your life with any words you want. If you repeat it long enough, if it's the message written on the walls of your house and listened to in your ears and sung with your own voice long enough, you will believe it. That's what humans are. We're clocks, but we need a program. Hmm, yeah? And the program we come with, you know, the OS we're born into, it's got a few bugs, to say it lightly, yeah? Uh, So many bugs, the hardware can't even take it. Mm. (laughs) But Christianity is an update of majestic proportions. It doesn't even remove the bugs. It just shows you them so you can see them and see how they can be diminished in grace for others. Based on grace, you see, shown you. Yeah. Um, well, that's my clock. You can make it yours. Sons of Solomon, join us. It's, it's, or ladies, you mean? And ladies, if you really want to pray, pray the guys' psalms, I can't stop you. Just, just don't try to be the guys. That's the main, the main thing with that. But find your favorite four psalms. Those aren't the only ones I do. I do three others uh, to music, uh, same music every day, right before. Best part of my day. Hardest part to start. Always the hardest part to start. Always the best part of the day. Always the best part of the day. Ah, ah. Okay, so we're going to go back to some of your cues and answers. Hold on. There was a way that I could go. Was it this one? Was it this one? Is it this? It was that one. That's awesome. Judith says this. She says, Dear Pastor Fisk, my question may verge on the pastoral. That is like, I probably shouldn't answer. It's a bit private. Uh, and if so, I don't expect you to address it. But in, is there provision for those with severe intelligence to bread? I, I don't consider this pastoral. I think it's a very public issue. I think there are a number of issues like this. Uh, five or so, within Lutheran circles at least, that we ignore to our detriment. We should be more open about it, deal with the hard facts, which aren't always pleasant for everybody, and, and, then, and then let it be, and just be honest about it. It's kind of like how we once upon a time tried to settle the reliquary, that is what you do with the leftover debate. We settled it by having an answer that no one really liked, but no one could argue against. It was, it was very helpful to have that, <laughs> uh, even though we lost it because we lost kind of a trust in the sacrament to begin with, I think. Um, anyway, so, uh, for those with severe intolerances to bread, indeed all grains, I, by the way, my own second born, uh, yeah, second born daughter is allergic to, to wheat, not gluten. Everyone goes, gluten? No, no, no. Wheat. She's allergic to wheat, every part of it, uh, as well as dairy and eggs, every part of them. Uh, it's, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. Uh, we're all kind of grateful for it after carnivore though, in a sense. That said, so what do you do for her? For the Lord's Supper, right? She's allergic to wheat, right? That's what the, the bread's supposed to be made of. Uh, and, well, okay, what about wine? 
those who can't partake of it in the Lord's Supper? What do we do for that? Or, or they would say, um, or they'd be concerned that, I've never heard of an allergy to wine, by the way. Um, there may be one. It's possible. I've never heard of one. Um, but there is a, the, the Al-Anon meta-narrative, and this is a story that Al-Anon made up, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not a bad story if it helps you, but it's not necessarily the end-all, be-all to religion. Right, which is important. Uh, which is that it, it, alcoholism is a disease, and if you have even the smallest shred of it, you will fall off the wagon. Right, and and that idea um, really doesn't hold the Lord's Supper. <laughs> it really doesn't hold the blood of Jesus, uh, because uh, the amount of alcohol that comes in a small sip or even an intincted drop uh, of wine, or you could put, say, a drop of wine in an uh, individual cup of water, if you really want to be that apart from everybody. Um, but there is no way to say scientifically, uh, materially, realistically, or even spiritually aside from your own decision uh, that that's a reason to fall off the wagon. It can't make you do that. That means you, you, you had a false god prop and you have to begin with. Uh, you weren't trusting Christ to begin with. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, if you're in Al-Anon and you're not trusting Christ, how would you know? I, well, which, which story do you believe more, right? So now let's, let's apply this. And I'm not saying, uh, please talk to your pastor about this for sure. If you are bothered by it, don't take my word for it. Disagree with me. That's okay. You should think about it though. When Jesus says, do this, and you're like, I don't think so. Like, whatever your reason, it might kill me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean you have to actually do it. Okay. Now, but, but then again, why not? So, I'll give you an answer again in a moment. I know you're more worried about the wheat. And uh, it is, I don't think it's as big a deal yet. I think there are other questions that are even worse that we haven't asked. Um, but, okay, you, you say the reading that you've done indicates that the elements should not be diluted or altered in any way. I, I Oh, I've never read that. Um, where'd you read that? Uh, the suggestion was made that the supplicant's faith and desire to participate, participate suffices. Well, faith is important, um, but uh, faith is important. And you shouldn't, because you don't commune in a certain Sunday, believe you don't have faith. For whatever reason, you would not go up. And if there is, in fact, something that prevents you from communing for a time, a long time even, I don't know, something in your, in your breath tube, I don't know, um, that does not mean you cannot believe. Communion is there as positive, not missed opportunity. It's not a zero-sum reality. You don't lose out unless you, which is true, unless you don't want it, right? You actually would experience hunger for it when you're away and desire to come to it, right? That is faith active. You can be faithfully active in both situations, right? Again, though, I've never heard this idea that you're not to dilute it in any, I'm not even sure what that would mean, uh, because is that pre or post? That's very interesting. If you would like to send a link to whatever reading that was, I'm curious about it. Um, this may or may not be an issue that I've dealt with as a pastor. Your thoughts? Yeah. So so what do we do? I'll just tell you what we do. Uh, I put the kibosh on the potato chips that most people buy that don't have a lick of any wheat in them and went through a, a society of, of Catholic nuns who make it their more or less lifelong devotion to make bread that is so infinitesimally wheat that they can guarantee you with evidence <laughs> that it can't hurt you. And yet you know if you ate this little piece of mostly rice, you, you in fact got 0.05 parts per million of wheat. I field tested it on my own blood. She's fine. So the next question I suppose would be how severe is your allergy? Hers is pretty severe, frankly. Um, it's not as severe as the milk one is. And 
kids who have peanut allergies, she's got one of those. That's probably the worst of all. So, you know, where are you in this? I can tell you that um, this is not diluting it. You have it up there. You have a small piece of bread, a very infinitesimally made piece of bread up there, right? Inside of a piece of rice bread, right? And you are believing that Jesus is sufficient to say, this is my body to you in this very small amount that will not harm you. That's what we practice. However, I think it would be just as faithful to say, if you really think I can't dilute it like that and that would be sinful, you would be just as faithful to say, um, faith suffices. Not, it's your desire to participate that suffices. I really wouldn't point to that. No, it is not that you want to, to participate that, that suffices. It, it is just that your faith does suffice. The fact that you believe in Jesus does suffice. He will, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Are you baptized or not? Does baptism count or not? What's the supper there for? To get you in or to feed you? Okay, well, then you're in, aren't you? Okay, are you, are you a believer? Is he risen? Are you paid for? You say all this, you're doing fine, right? So it's possible to refrain from the supper. It is. I don't know why. I, I would have to be so close to a weird, tragic death to not just have a small piece of wheat, right? And a small bit of wine. Um, I, I, I don't know what could, for me, right? But that's, that's for me. So at the end of the day, you are right in that the, the application of this to individuals is a pastoral approach. You, you have to have the pastor one-on-one asking, what is your condition? What are you dealing with? Because a broad answer will not suffice for everybody. But you should not feel that you will be unsaved because you are unable to participate for the supper for a time or even unto death. Who knows what else could separate you from the supper between now and then. It's happened to many, right? So it is what it is. Put your stock instead in the sufficiency of Jesus, in the certainty that when he says, I've got you, he's got you. And then if in any way you are able to participate in what is being offered where you are, take it. Unless what's being offered is not Jesus, which is to say that the bread has got got any wheat and the juice has not got any wine. Why do I say that? Well, because when Jesus says, do this, I think we should. (laughs) And I don't have any argument past that. There were some scholars in the last hundred years who were like, well, that's not really an argument. It doesn't count. We know Luther said that, but he was wrong. He, He was not wise enough to see how insufficient that statement was. No, it's really like a yes or no, black or white, you know, you know, color crayon answer kind of thing. Like, did he mean it or not? Do we get to tinker with it or not? Do we try to do it as much like we've received it at least, and then gradually, if they need to make changes, with all of us thinking about it loudly together and asking, why are we changing it back? Because it seems like it's working right now. Don't make it worse, right? Like, that reality. Where you are, take what you're receiving, but don't take something that's not promised to be him, and then talk to your pastor. Yes, talk to your pastor about it. You got special needs, talk to your pastor. That's what he's there for. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to tell you the big picture. And I think I did. Although it is as... uh, as you can tell, right, it's a, it can be a touchy issue. Why, but see, again, you know, my own kid. And I, every time, <laughs> I feel bad. There are, there are several others who take that, the, the low wheat wafer that we offer. And by the way, if you want a link, I'm going to need Frisbee. No, it'll be too late. We'll get a link out through Mad Monday's newsletter sometime, at some point, eventually. Um, and you can pester Frisbee for it later. Uh, <laughs> I forgot where I was going. Oh, goodness gracious. Talking to your pastor about the application of this matters. Um, but what matters most is your confidence. 
What matters most is that you have a certainty that Christ has you. You don't want to like make yourself take the supper in fear because you have to or else. Like that defeats the purpose. That's not a good habit at the table. Oh, if I'm not here, I'll be in trouble. Like, no, 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 no. It's, it's look where he has pulled you from his hanging, suspended over Golgotha. He has through time and space by word and mystery dragged you to this food. Rejoice and be glad. There's life there. Take that approach wherever you are. You know? Oh, that felt good. I like that. I want to go to the supper. Yay. I get to tonight. Yay. Marcia says this. Riff Fisk, I attended a Lutheran funeral and the pastor said that my friend was now at home in heaven with his glorified body. I was confused because I thought, <laughs> I thought that when we die, we are with his saints awaiting the resurrection where we will finally have our glorified bodies. You are correct. Uh, could you please help clarify this, for this me? You are correct and he is incorrect. He is, for whatever particular past reason, picking up on uh, the modern, more Methodist, evangelical, kind of Americana understanding of heaven as a Gnostic final non-corporal, non-spatial harps and stuff place. And yeah, it, that, that's been really kind of an icky dross over really all forms of Christianity. Um, and maybe it's not just Americana. We just have our own kitschy version of it with, you know, special moments, precious children, pictures and bathrooms and things. I, have I been traumatized? I guess so. <laughs> By Hallmark. Uh, <laughs> um, so... If someone has not been confronted with this thought by a caring Christian in the last 50 years, then no one has any reason other than they've read the Bible carefully and challenged their own thinking regularly by it to believe that he's wrong and you're right. Because it's a rediscovery in a lot of corners. It's sort of like a reformation of sorts, right? But, but not quite. We're not really fighting the Pope, although we're, we're doing that too these days, and, and more and more it would seem. But huh, um, rediscovering what it means to confess that I believe in the resurrection of the body in the creed is to say that we can't say everything is done when someone dies. Like, you just can't say that. What, so whatever he meant by he's now at home, done, in heaven, usually means done, with his glorified in the Bible would mean done and then and 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 body done now so now when you die and the way we would say this you are glorified in christ's body you're in christ right what does that mean i don't know you are in heaven yes that too are you at home well in a sense since you're with christ you will never be away from him but no you're not really there's no hearth right um, there's no, there's no bedrooms and kitchens and food and people, uh, not, not like that. At least we have nothing that, that would tell us to think that's the case. Everything that would lead you to think that's coming. And it is, is after the resurrection. What kind of prevision of that do we get? Look at the saints on fire under the altar in revelation, and you will find that picture. It's not the one most people are using, right? And I don't think it's really bad. I think that's the, you know, the fire of zeal of the spirit. That is the martyrdom of their life here and the persecution that we see and experience and that they are not unaware of that. Although I don't think they're necessarily omniscient and able to watch you over your shoulder like the pagans think, because that's a pagan thought. It's a pagan thought. Um, but 
Uh, they are praying for us, interceding for us, because Christ is and they're in Christ. And they can't be without the mind of Christ because they're now only with Christ and no longer with their bodies, which he will glorify on the day of his resurrection, which is why you can't say it's all done. So it's the home language and the body language really... Um, well, the home... I'm going to say this differently. The home language says it's all done and it shouldn't. It, it, it's, a, it's a comforting attempt, but the thing is nobody's at home without their body. Now, Paul does talk about this, that when we are away from the Lord, we are in a tent and not at home. He'd rather be at home with the Lord. So there's that idea. Okay, that's fine. That's true. But I'm not sure that's what most people are hearing, right? That Paul's just talking about how it's really kind of, I was ready, right? That's really what Paul's saying is, I was ready. And I, and I know I was ready. When I died, I was telling you, I'm, I'm so ready. I'm ready. Hey, he is risen. And if you want to kill me, go for it, right? Is, is that what most people are struggling with, bedside? I've, I've not seen that problem there often. 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 Usually, usually the focus bedside is not on Christ till I bring him up. Hmm. I don't want it to be that way for me. In any case, the body part is just wrong. So Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, whole chapter on the resurrection, but he, he talks about how after the resurrection, there will be a heavenly body that the first man's made of the earthly body and the second man will be made of the heavenly body, which is to kind of go with, I think it's John says, you know, what we will be is not yet revealed, but we will be as he is. Like there, there's the building of us out of Jesus Adams instead of out of Adams, Adams that is yet to take place. And that's what the day of resurrection is. And to say we're done, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're missing the hope, honestly. You're painting a caricature of the future. And, and you're wrong in that even where Paul talks about there being a heavenly body, he's talking about not when you die, but after you're raised from the dead. So it just, you, he couldn't be more wrong. But what do you do about this, Marcia? What do you do? It's a funeral. It's random. It's some guy. Who knows? Lutheran? I don't even know what that means. Where? What kind? There's so many of them. And... They all fight with each other, both internally and externally. I mean, so who knows where, you know, what he, where he got it and what he is. So um, you're going to hear all manner of draws out there. It doesn't necessarily mean the person is a false teacher, uh, but it does mean they're negligent at that point, especially if you try to engage them and they're like, um, <laughs> well, and they don't want to hear it, right? They don't want to hear it. Um, yeah, I hope I hope that helped. Hope that helped. I'm gonna take a small little break here. Be right back after some drinks of waters, cause uh, it's time to I don't know. It's time for that time. That was the wrong buttons. Uh, so while I'm exposing the madness of thinking that my body is a clock I can hack against this age of darkness and turn it into a weapon of righteousness for the right hand and the left, actually. Um, I've had some other ideas recently based upon my meditations upon the scriptures that I thought maybe you'd like to think about because it's largely been about, for me, uh, understanding the trauma for real. Oh, poor victim. No, but um, got to patch up the wound, man. So uh, the, the trauma of a modern childhood that no one knew what that was and they just, which just happened to us. We're bashed in the face with media, okay? What does that mean for me? It means I didn't know my body was a clock until now, and I'm going to treat it differently now that I know that. That starts. I've had some other things that have been pushing on me, and I want to share those with you too. I don't think anybody's thought nearly enough about what it does to your hormones as a human being to live decision-making 
life based on notifications from external objects that are techne. What I call it in my own you know, mind is notification syndrome. That's what I think I have. I've diagnosed myself with some crazy thing. And what happens is these little machines that you're talking to. I see this is a talking machine here. You put it beside the ear and you're talking to it. These little machines, they say, talk to me. I say, okay, I'll talk to you. I say, look at me. Okay, I'll look at you. Uh, uh, look at me again. Okay, I'll look at you. Uh, uh, look at me again. Okay, I'll look at you. Oh, I'm not working right now. Okay, I'll fix you. Oh, I entertained by, I mean, go on and on. What it did to me was it wore me out. And now I just never want to go back. I don't, I, I really, <laughs> it's on permanent silence and it's probably not a good thing, you know, as a pastor, but it is. I just, I just don't know how to deal with the, what I think is the physical trauma of 40 years of pure in your eyeballs. Here it comes. And I'm telling you, nobody before my generation got that. I'm not sure nobody in my generation got that except the tail end of it. And what I'm going to tell you is when it hits your 40s, it's going to start hurting. <laughs> yeah, it's going to start hurting. We're getting it at levels that are just, just unbelievable. Just the blue light alone as a drug. What does that do to brain patterns over time? I have no idea, right? But, but notification syndrome. How much adrenaline, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, can you endure? And why are you letting other people tell you when you should be adrenalized? That's my question for the modern world. Hmm. Ah, are you familiar with magical realism? I studied this under the pagans in California. I I am from the far east, California, <laughs> uh, and, and I've studied at the feet of gurus of, of of all manifold kind. Really, it was quite amazing the education I got in the California state system. Um, very diverse. Intelligent men, women, uh, learned, learned a ton. Wow. Uh, the one lady that just came to mind, less intelligent, very able to mimic styles in order to climb ladders. There you go. And, uh, oh, then there was the poet. She was cool, but she was so trapped in her feminism. It was really rough on her. She, her, she wanted to be a mom, and she was trying to be a feminist poet in Northern California. And it was just like watching her. She's just stressed, just stressed out all the time. She was a good person. I liked her. She helped me with my poetry. I majored in poetry, writing. What a nerd. Anyway, magical realism I learned about in a class on California literature, which as a English major, because that's how you get a creative writing major is you get an English major, and I really got one. Um, I, I did well in Shakespeare. Thank you very much. Um, we had to do a class on California Lit, which was valuable, honestly, because California is such a melting pot. It, there was such a wide variety of, of what we would call um, very self-aware diagnosis of the present, whether in fiction or otherwise, that came out of certain areas of California writing that exposed what, say, Pastor Kuntz and I are talking about, Dr. Kuntz and I are talking about on A Brief History of Power, the grander meta of California. And so I was, I was shown that from these guys. I mean, you know the Central Valley was like a lake? It was an underground lake with a big lake at the bottom of it. You know, they drained it to water crops for like a decade. It was gone. A lake. <laughs> I mean, a big one. Like a great lake. Uh, anyway, um, go study it. It's fascinating. California. Uh, one of the things that came out of that class was the development of a style of literature called magical realism. And I didn't think much of it at the time because the, the writing that we had to read was weird. Um, uh, who's the guy? This guy, I didn't read this guy as much, but um, uh, Satanic Verses? Uh, oh, he's a, he's a Hindu. Oh, and he has another one. Uh, I read a couple, the first 
a sentence. It's like, my mother's you know, crying rubies out of her eyes. It has a lot of symbolism. But the, the point of magical realism is that most of the world is normal. But there's a, there's an awareness that there's an unseen reality going on, and then that can take a lot of different forms in magical realism literature. Where this came back into my life before thinking about it recently just as a reality um, was <laughs> uh, Narcos. Uh, back when I was a Netflix sometimes binger on an offer, uh, Narcos, I, I kept trying. I kept wanting to like the show. It had things. I wanted to know the history, honestly, and I, I think I was watching for the history. Um, but I, you know, it's just <sighs> – <laughs> Dan Carlin, please keep going. Um, but that show was built on magical realism. They say so at the very start of it. And so it's clearly made its way into the genre of cinematography and whatnot. Um, you know, film. Uh, well, okay, so what is this idea? It's the idea that there is an unseen. And so in your story, you have to believe in a greater power that really is there. Well, okay, that's what life really is. Did you know that? Really? It's, it's a magically real place. Like, we don't even know how it got here. I mean, we do. Like he said it came or it all blew up, right? Those are our stories, but we really don't get it. Like we get down, we dug and we dug. We're almost going to understand everything in a quantum. What? <laughs> String theory, I swear. It's, it's a story we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel like we understand when we aren't even studying anymore. <sighs> the problem of physics is a book. You can read it. Go check it out. Magical realism to believe in the unseen world and that there's a power there is not something Christians should be surprised by. Hmm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody watch Dark Crystal, the original one? Did anyone watch the new one? I didn't see the new one. But the Skeksis. Anyway. God, traumatizing. Really? Really? Golly. What do you show your kids? Take a step back from like the younger ones especially and be like, pretend you've never seen anything before. Like you're a, you're a, you're a primitive native four-year-old or three-year-old. Just pretend that for a moment. Even though you, they've touched stuff and they've done the iPads, just pretend. They haven't been exposed to everything yet. And then like take a look at what they're watching. And realize that's what they're going to try to be. No matter what you tell them afterwards, that's what they're going to try to be. I'm so tired of trying to be stuff. Dear heavens. Notification syndrome is back. Industrialized knowledge, by the way, is what we call science. Science is not actually knowledge anymore. Unfortunately, it's a term. It's industrialized knowledge. It means we have turned it into capital, so you have to believe it's true, so the capital keeps moving. That's just something to think about. Uh, you know, we, we, we take in wisdom, we try to fit it into cogs, and that's what we call science, and, so, and we can't even handle a pandemic with it because it really doesn't work based on ideas anymore, does it now? Because we've undermined truth. That's all not what you asked to hear me talk about today, so I'll push the wrong button and then push the right button, and we'll go back to your questions and answers. Oh, could I have done it like this? Let's try it. Let's try it. Right. Like this? Transitions. Oh, but I went to the wrong one. Oh, bah, 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 bah. there it is. Uh, so, Marsha, we already answered yours, I think. Thank you for that question about the resurrection of the body. James says this. You do good work. James says you can't read simple words in English on the screen if you talk faster than your mouth. You do great work. Thank you for the preaching, for preaching the gospel. Uh, this Lutheran guy showed up and uh, ooh, ooh, the troll is covering you preached a sermon, make Jesus famous, real quotes, a sermon, air quotes, at my Lutheran church today. You and the wolf are needed. Stay strong. And you got mychurchozark.org. Okay, well, I I wouldn't probably say it that way, and I certainly wouldn't do a lot of stuff that probably is done at that link. I haven't gone to it. No. Okay, cool. Um, but there's something they're right about. Right? Like, like which Jesus is the question that will the real Jesus please stand up by Dr. Reverend Matthew Richard, a great book from Concordia Publishing House, LCMS. 
and it is actually a very good book, um, it, will, it will expose that just because someone says Jesus doesn't mean it means anything that the Bible says. <laughs> right? Like I can, I can babble sounds and then call it Christianity and people will send me money. And yes, turn on the cable, still doing it. I mean, still, who, why are you paying for cable? Anyway, <laughs> paying to have other people tell you how to think. I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if you don't want to have people hear about Jesus, I guess we just disagree, right? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was just saying to my wife last night in the deepest, darkest confessions of my personal ambition that honestly, the, the only thing I'm going to try to do the rest of my life is create a national platform for the name of Jesus Christ to be said out loud where people can hear it and everyone knows it's going to at least say he's risen from the dead. Like we're going to get that much out every time. <laughs> right? And so, the, I mean, there's got to be something. So, I, but which Jesus? I had, I had an interesting you know, tangent in my crazy world. Uh, I think this was, this was early COVID. I mean, I did, I wrote this down on a note. I remember it quite vividly. I was still just discovering smart notes at this point. Um, I said, Jesus, I said, Jesus needs a reboot. No, Jesus needs a rebrand. And I was ashamed to write it because I should be. I was right to be ashamed because it's not Jesus that's the problem. (laughs) Uh, But those who have lied in his name have false Jesus brands that are great problems. (laughs) problems. <laughs> uh, and, and if you're, if you're listening to those, you're following those, you're stamping those in your forehead and your mouth and your mind. Well, you're going to get right. So I, I, which Jesus, but I cannot contend against the idea that we should be doing everything we can to, to make Jesus name known, to put our money where our mouth is in baptism, that the name by which we can be guaranteed to be saved. Why does baptism work? Do I have to do one of these? Do we have to reintroduce basic teachings about washings with water rather than go on to deeper stuff? Is it not evident that when you have the words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, own institution, when you have those words spoken on you, whether it was water or not, if he said that was the moment that you should know you're saved, then you should believe that. He added water. Why did he do that? Because you're a body. We talked about that earlier. Rewind. Go watch that. We should be able to, on that foundation, on that certainty, bind together to make the name of Jesus known, even with our enemies, if it's the right shot. Now, again, which Jesus? Which confession? I can tell you a lesson from history. They almost did it against Hitler and they scuttled the whole thing. They scuttled the whole thing by insisting on including the Lord's Supper in it so the Lutheran a few of them couldn't sign it. What kind of blessing you want from that? Anyway, the goal here is not some ecumenical nonsense like that. If you go, go, if you don't know about the ecumenical movement, again, maybe brief history of your powers to do some of that. Goodness, um, you know, you can go Google that, and it's mostly going to show you what it is. That's not a good idea either. That was again the attempt to organize the church with man's hands. I'm advocating is that we should organize the church with the liturgy of the word of God confessed from the scriptures, understood, spoken, repeated, known as you are led where you are. And if you're in a locality where you do it together over and over again, the same way, that's awesome. And if you do it over and over again, so it becomes so meaningful and it lasts thousands of years, don't throw it away. Like in a generation, 
Just saying. Uh, but make it your own, right? Make it your own. Learn to sing it. And if not everyone can, we'll talk about it because the whole group should be able to care about the devotion. Now, how, how does that happen in a big congregation? Very slowly. <laughs> yeah. Very slowly. You know, it might be something that various places handle differently. But the point here is that we should come away from what we believe with the desire to say it to anybody who will listen. And maybe then, instead of always worrying about those who won't listen, we should look around and see who's listening and pay attention and speak. And I'll guarantee you, your children are sitting pretty close. <laughs> They're right there, right? Uh, and um, they won't really like it when you turn off the TV and make them talk to you because they've been trained to not like that by the TV, which tells them not to trust you. So just be ready for that. And it is also a God of sorts. By God, I mean something that gets dominance over you, right? Again, tools, any tool, any good gift, any good and perfect gift from God can become your God when you begin to trust it over and against God and God's word, right? So where is that happening on your day-to-day life? Well, if you don't have any of God's word in your life, how would you even know? Why won't I go to church on Sunday? Oh, really? Okay, so the word of God's in your life every day? Really? Like, like, no, like your faith is being kept a faintly glimmering wick if you go to church every week. Good for you. Wow, you've done your duty. Ha ha, yeah, wow, big guy, yeah. (laughs) I really, it's nothing. A religion you can practice. It's not about earning anything. It's about being given an alternative path, a different set of steps, only they're not steps first, they're words. The clock. And it's so valuable, I think it could make his name known. At least around you. You know. Oh, here's from the website. I don't know. You know, the, the inner debate, the inter LCMS debate about style is the, the smorgasbord frosting on a cake built of sacramentarianism and the desire to stay united for the sake of individual pastors, all of us, me included, having it better financially because to split the system will hurt us. And those of us who are young aren't really doing well, (laughs) usually. Uh, Those of us who are uh, over 50 to 60, man, they're doing very well. Boomtown, USA. Yeah. Uh, so this debate about, you know, what do you do with your website? Who are you? I mean, this is a Christian church that for some reason thinks the LCMS is valuable. I haven't even looked at what it says yet, but I know you sent it to me because you think there's stuff here that doesn't fit with and jive with the Lutheran confessions. And in that case, they're wrong and they shouldn't do that. And it's very dishonest of them. Um, but then again, we're living in very confusing and dark times and I'm not going to assume it's their motive. I don't think that they're trying to destroy the church of Jesus. I don't think anyone's trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. I think that when I try to do things I think need to be done, I often, in fact, do harm people. So the best thing I can do is slow down and assume I'm not the one with the plan and that my plan's often in the way and so maybe the Lord has a plan here because the word of God, the scriptures is still on the website. That's better than... Some, and it's pretty clear, which is nice. Like anybody who gets there is going to see, I mean, look at these words. Um, oh, there's no scripture there. Where do we go? Oh, oh, give me scripture. 
Let's see. They want scripture to influence what they do. That's good. That's very LCMS. Yeah, but where's the scripture? Oh, I was going to give you props, people, and then you didn't do it for me. See, like if you were wise, if you were wise, you were going to go this route with this website, you would have the scriptures there because you know they are the actual words of God. Not your reflection, not your confession. Those are good too. Your confession is very important. You want to confess what the scriptures say, but not before the scriptures say it, or at least paraphrase it, right? Like, like preach it. Hmm. Someone asked me what I mean for another question later, if you want that one followed up on. This is interesting. So we, we weren't sure who Jesus Corona is. Um, are you really? It's an awesome name. It really, I mean, and, and at, at, for such a time as this, indeed, right? So I, I kind of think it's not, but I don't want to offend you because uh, I, I'm from California and I know a lot of Jesuses and they're good peoples. In fact, ah, oh, I really do. I have a way to learn Spanish if I'll just do the podcasting work to listen to it uh, um, because, well, half my community is Latino and I would love to get back into the Jesus community and talk to them about, well, what we're talking about here. He's risen, right? Uh, so... Jesus, Corona, if you're actually Jesus, that's great. If it's just more like you're mocking the times, okay, cool. Um, uh, if you're not, I don't know. Anyway, the question has nothing to do with that. When I was an evangelical, I would talk about Christ more often. This is such a good question, man. Woman, not a man. <laughs> For sure that's a male name, right? Gotta be. Maria, right? Because in the Latin culture, it's Maria. I knew, tangent, when I lived in La Jolla, I was delivering pizza. I was not quite next door, but very close to three Brazilian sisters who were all visiting, just visiting, kind of going to school, sort of. Um, and they were all named Maria. It was really like, wait, you're, you're Maria? You, yeah, yeah, really. Those They have middle names that they go by. In any case, Jesus, Maria, very common names. Um, like, oh, I should talk about it since I knew this one. You can go back. I got the jump on everyone on this. You should follow me on Twitter now forever. I am a Twitter lord. Right? So, Coyote, you know yet? You haven't known? Uh, you can go back and you find early, early yesterday morning, I just retreated. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, because a Coyote is indeed someone who smuggles people across the border. You should know this from national news the last 30 years, really. But, you know, uh, Tijuana, proximity to San Diego is kind of common knowledge. And they're called a Coyote because you can't, you can't find them, right? That's, it's not an insult to them. It's not like the, the ice came up with the term Coyote. It's their term. Right when they're looking for this. So, anyway, it's uh, Jesus Corona. You have thrown me for a California loop. Let's go back to your very good question. When I was an evangelical, I would talk about Christ more often. So you're Lutheran now, and you talk about Jesus less, huh? Yeah. Fair criticism, and always looked for more opportunity to do so. Yeah. What is it about Lutheranism, you say, that kind of draws you away from that? I mean, I just found the true Catholic and apostolic faith, and I won't talk about it. It's a strange thing. Well, I could throw you the mark in secret. That would be all Gnostic of me. Go look up the mark in secret, and you will understand. My credit cards numbers should be sent to me now. Right. Um... It is strange that finding the apostolic faith would cause you to be silent. What I think happens on all levels, from those inside to those outside, is that the depth of what Scripture says that a well-trained pastor 
can discover, can so awe you, especially when taught as scholastic, memorizable uh, geometry. (laughs) Uh, It can so wow you with the marvel of it that you are afraid you'll do it wrong. I know I've done that to people. Like I've made them afraid to talk because they think I talk so well. So, golly, that wasn't what I was trying to do. <laughs> you know? Oh, how do I fix that one? Uh, uh, so, I think what happens is then, so we get overwhelmed by that. I think if you're coming in from the evangelical world, there's a chance you also feel like, well, I got it so wrong, I better be careful. It was so wrong before, I better not say anything wrong now. But the thing is, it wasn't so wrong before that you weren't a Christian. It really wasn't. You were a Christian. That's why you left. The non-Christians are staying. Huh? Uh, so, you know, th- that's not the issue. Your faith. But now you are being, again, overwhelmed by an ethnic experience. Truly. A, a truly ethnic experience. It is a complete Twilight Zone, uh, Doctor Who, Time Warp, Time Lord spaceship to walk into an LCMS church. And it's not because our liturgy is so much like Rome. I wish it were. I wish that was the only problem. <laughs> it's not. Huh? Uh, and so you're in that and it's like, well, what's, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to act like? Who do I follow? What do I look like? What am I supposed to be? And I'll tell you, the, the leadership in the trained pastor of the LCMS, they've been taught to think they're not supposed to show you what to be. And this is more a cultural thing than bi- biblical. But there's this, uh, oh, what do you think? Democracy, egalitarianism is what everyone needs all the time. So I don't know. What do you think? Oh, oh what do you think the Bible means? Oh, you know. And um, that being in the water, that being something that's out there, it makes it, it makes it challenging to answer the question then. All I can say is, if the liturgy isn't a clock that goes more than just for an hour a week, then you maybe don't have what Luther had. Even though you got the clarity of the doctrine of justification and the sacraments that the Reformation he was connected to had. Luther just read the Bible all day, every day, and then talked. It's basically what he did. He didn't just walk in and wax off. He walked in after spending five hours reading Hebrew. And he talked about it in German and then taught it and says, here's what it means. And people were like, (gasps) now we inherited some scholastic level of training from that for our confirmation programs rather than the piety which led a man to be so inspired by the scriptures. All he could do was talk and write about it all the time. And the answer is just what he was putting in. We're not so powerful as we think. That's part of the the lie, the mythos of the entertainment world. It's like, you get to choose who you are. Don't worry, we already figured out who you're going to be here. It's $9.95. Oh, you thought that was dollars. That's that's up to the thousands there. The lie. The lie, right? So the LCMS is no freer from this than you are. COVID is the thing that's knocking us all into thinking about this. There's a different clock, right? The clock I'm on is not the one you're on now, and it's not just time zones. Like, people near me don't have the same clock. 
So I'm asking the question, why don't we talk about Jesus more? Well, first, let's be careful. I said it already this show. It's a wide and varied thing, this Christianity. And you never know when you walk into what you're going to find, no matter what's on the name. So don't assume that what you see in your proximity is the way it is everywhere. Now, I've been in enough LCMS churches to know that by and large, we're not just talking about Jesus after church. We don't. We don't talk about him at all. It's quite disturbing, in fact. And especially if you pay attention to what Jude says about such conversation. Um, That said, it's not always the case. And certainly there are Lutheran Christians who devotionally practice their faith. But they do it by devotionally practicing their faith, which involves things like praying the Psalms. And, and, And why do I always harp on that? Because it's the history of the church. The church fathers said it. Everyone said, if you're not praying the Psalms, you shouldn't be doing anything else but praying the Psalms. You want to move out of that, move into the Proverbs. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to know that the creed is the creed. You're not just going to the Psalms like a Jew. You're going into the Psalms because you know the prayers Jesus prayed when he was a man on his way to the cross. Though when he went away into the, into the wilderness to pray, do you think he just like piously meandered in his mind? He had laid before him the holy writ, which would be his bread. It convicted the humanity within him, inspired as he was. Oh, what a thing to imagine. You ha- well, you can't, because it's written. And it's written for you to identify the way you think with the way he thought. And of course, you don't stop there. You then enter the New Testament, right? You enter Matthew, you enter Romans, you enter James and Jude. And you let them begin to guide your mind as well, but never detaching yourself from the clock that are the prayers of Jesus. And I don't think you'll be able to keep yourself from talking about it. I just don't think you will, because what goes in is what comes out. Period. Period. You are no island. You are a man. You are a creature. You are a pot of clay. You are made for in formation to formation you. And then it comes out, right? Then you begin to form others. Do I think this has something to do with the pastor at each church or something else? Certainly. Certainly. Each pastor is going to be really different in theory. There are brands or genres or flavors or vintages, you know, but, but, but yeah, uh, no one, no one comes in a box. So they are always going to be different. That's why it's important that you listen to your pastor. It's important that you can listen to your pastor. I recently had someone, uh, leave my congregation in goodwill, I think, uh, because I talk too fast. I do. It's a good reason to leave. You can't hear me. I, I get it. Like go somewhere. You can listen to the guy. She went to a local church we're in fellowship with. I mean, I was cool with it. I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, I, I can try to slow down. I, I do it for like 30 seconds or so, and then it wears off. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the important thing is that you hear. And so you need to be able to listen to what your pastor really says. And if you can't listen to what he says, you need to start taking notes. Don't blame him, lazy bum. Take some notes. And if you, then if it doesn't make any sense, then you got to talk to him. Right? Then you got to talk to him. Uh, what did you mean by this, Pastor? Help me along with this, Pastor. Uh, what should I be doing, Pastor? Become the disciple of your pastor. Oh. I've never had that thought before. Um, hmm. Seems like it aligns with orthodoxy pretty well to me. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. Become the disciple of your pastor until you can't anymore. And in theory, because he's orthodox and faithful, that'll never be until he, you know, has to move or... or gets too old to serve in the full capacity, but he'll always be a mentor, a, a discipler of you, right? So um, bug him, <laughs> uh, I guess, on that one, yeah? It's what he wants, in theory, is to, is to help you. So love your stuff, Miss Wee TV. God bless. Ah, ah, Wee TV, it's still there. You watch it. 
It's, you can still watch it. It's still there. I won't be. I, I can't be young and overweight forever. All right. So uh, we're gonna go to the last question from you all before we move to something else for a little break, and then the last half hour. Um, Awake too often says this. Oh, oh. Are you a dolphin? Do you know that dolphins, lions, bears, wolves? Back before I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and got the magical modern machine that now is my nightly god, I must clean it and worship it in so many ways for it to serve me well. Um, before that, you know, I was I was trying to find anything I could to figure out why I was so tired all the time. I mean, I and I, I was overweight, but I wasn't that overweight. Like like you would think I would have apnea, and it just. Ah, so I, I was listening to anything. I was reading books, finding podcasts, um, taking supplements. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, uh, and I, I think it was a Tim Ferriss episode. There's a doc who's a sleep doc, world famous. And he was talking about these four types of human and how important it is that if you're one of them, you get, you get help. Okay. So you have the wolf. It's me, generally. Likes to be up late, right? Likes to go hunting at night. Uh, you have the lion. Uh, likes to be up early. Likes to go hunting in the morning. And then you have the bear who just kind of rolls with it and eats and stuff. A workhorse kind of guy, right? Um, and then those are all cool, right? And his main point was you can't really change those things. If, I mean, you're really not going to make a wolf into a lion permanently. Um, although, interestingly, I've had a shift since then, and I get up at six every day on clock, like automatically, sunrise. Um, but then there was a fourth one, the dolphin. And the dolphin doesn't sleep like stain animals do. So if you want to start listening to dolphins and having them tell us how things are, I think we should slow down. Uh, they sleep in like shifts and stuff. It's really weird. And there are people then who the cycle of notification syndrome, blue light attack, uh, just the modern trauma of overstimulation lead you to having no clock, no body clock. And so you're just waking up, falling asleep. You don't even know anymore. Diagnosable, right? Big deal, really. Hard on your body. Can kill you young. So get help. I don't even know. It's just from your name awake too often. <laughs> but it's true. And, you know, apnea too. I mean, I thank goodness. Oh, I'm going to tell another story out of school because I'm not going to tell any names. I have a friend, a friend who his life sometimes is good and sometimes is hard. But it's harder than it should be. It's because he wasn't wearing his CPAP. He'd been diagnosed years ago. I'd only had mine for a year or two. What are you doing, man? Put that thing on. Saw him yesterday. He's doing great. Golly. So don't let lack of sleep go undiagnosed. Do not. It will kill you. It will ruin your waking moments. Trust me. <laughs> Golly, trust me on that. It doesn't, it doesn't make you Superman. <laughs> but it lets you sleep. You have to get over yourself. You have to admit it. You got a disease. You got a problem. And no, it's not as comfortable as not having it on. I take it off every so often because I'm sleeping and it comes off. And oh, for pity's sake, I wake up, I'm tired. What do you want? Do you want no thorns? If they can fix your sleep, why wouldn't you? Anyway, Awake Too Often says this. Can you comment on John Piper's Christian hedonism? Probably not. Not with any efficiency. Um, uh, as uh, Frisbee summed it up so well. She gave me like her best summary of this. <laughs> and, and she like put the best construction on all of it. And then she goes, like, well, I mean, if you're going to call your thing Christian hedonism, you really can't expect anybody to agree with you. <laughs> 
it's a little bit out of the out of the, out of the park there. Uh, so, uh, no, I can't comment on it because I've never heard of it, and I can't imagine anybody saying those two words together with a straight face uh, as if it were a thing. And yet, and yet, what I understood was brought forward is some of the the philosophy behind this is not like he's not pressing on some of the right problems. Like there's a there's a lack of belief in the first article. There's a lack of belief in a spirit of Jesus who inspires us to hope. <laughs> Just start with that one, you know? And so we our bodies would be inspired to breathe and speak words like we're just talking about. I mean, that's all tied to itself. And I, he's pushing on the same problem. Is he right with the word hedonism? I think it's just that's terrible branding. You didn't think that through at all, sir. Um, and, and John Piper has other issues beyond this one. I cannot commend to you, John Piper. He is a Calvinist and you know, Calvinist is a Calvinist. If you'd like to read some critiques on Calvinism, there's plenty written, more than enough. Uh, start with just the history of Geneva under Calvin. That would be interesting. Um, Adam Kuntz, send, someone send us that one, by the way. Clip that. Uh, us the chill, please. Please help. Send Kuntz to me that one. We need to do like a Geneva under... under uh, under Zwingli and then under Calvin. That would be really interesting. Uh, 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 uh. So can I comment? Uh, before becoming a Lutheran, I used to listen to a lot of John Piper and read his book, Desiring God. That definitely has made an impact. Again, I have not studied that much. It's not been the battle on the ground anywhere I was. And so, you know, I know Roseboro, you know, I might've heard of it through Roseboro stuff, PCR, Pirate Christian Radio, definitely worth your time. If you want to know everything about every false teacher ever, go there. He's talked about them. <laughs> you can find a, a catalog of it. Um, but you're imagining now he's promoting a form of miso. Did you actually read his stuff or you just heard the phrase, right? And that's the trick, right? So he's promoting a form of mysticism in making the Christian faith hinge on the affections of personal experience. Now, as you dig deeper then, here's the idea. And this is just, you know, my second hand from Frisbee and she's a good researcher, but it's just second hand from Frisbee in a conversation, right? Uh, is that what he's saying is that the Christian is originally a man made to live in a pleasurable state. Let's just call it that for the moment. And that even with our fall, faith alone enables us to believe this to be true. And that itself is a more pleasurable state than not believing it. And therefore it does in fact, on that level, guarantee it to be more pleasurable to be a Christian. Now this would be to be an actual authentic Christian who could find it pleasurable to be crucified upside down. Like that's the kind of pleasure we're talking about. As we use the word hedonism, you're not going to brand it very. No one's going to. No one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> hedonism means like like letting go of every virtue and doing every vice. That's what it means to the ear. So it's just a bad, bad, bad idea. Um, but I don't think you're wrong in saying also that there is a, a mystical edge that you're likely to find in his version of it. The line between mysticism, hmm? mysticism, and acknowledging the mysteries. The line is when you start teaching your speculation about the mysteries as if they are revelations, or when you stop listening to the revelations uh, because you think that what you see is counter to their mystery. Uh, That's the real threat at the end of the day. And so when you don't have the sacrament, again, you're you're always going to end up there. Even if you have the sacrament, you can still do it. It's harder because there's this thing in the way every week that isn't really that beautiful. <laughs> and so you're like, how do we do, how do we have rock and roll concerts with this stuff in the way, right? I mean, it's a little tough, right? Uh, so 
So, but I cannot. So, with that said, I, I can't talk about John Piper's mysticism. I don't know, but you're you're probably right, and I think I've heard that before as a criticism of him. So I can affirm that. But again, I'm gonna I'm gonna hat tip to Pirate Christian Radio if you want to dig into that more. He'll have t- hours on this for you. Um, but as Lutherans, you say, what is the role of personal experience and affection? This is good, right? This is really good. Certainly, we are supposed to rejoice in the Lord, etc. Yeah. What does it mean? What does it mean? Oh, rejoice in the Lord always. Anybody with me? Am I all alone? Did it die out? I'll say again, rejoice. Oh, goodness. The trauma. The trauma never ends, people. What is the one um, where you have to sit up? No, sit up. You, you stand up and you sit down. What is it? Praise ye the Lord. Oh, anyway. None of it gave me Jesus. Not a single bit of that gave me the Jesus. It didn't teach me to believe anything. What does it mean to rejoice? Right of that hit me because the word rejoice in that moment as a kid was being used to mean be energetic. And as I, I've already mentioned sleep apnea, as I came to struggle with sleep apnea later in life, like, I don't know, when I was eight, nine, it really started to hit me. I couldn't wake up, right? Um, rejoicing just didn't come so easy, especially if it meant being energetic. So what does it mean to rejoice in Jesus? It seems to be a positive word. Where would you even find this idea? And I've talked about this other places before, but this is important. If we're going to talk about the pursuit of joy as essential to the Christian life, which I'm not sure you can pursue joy and have it be joy. I think that would be my first statement. Um, But uh, if we're going to talk about joy as experience that comes in the Christian life, we've got to make sure we know what joy really is. And as distinguished from the happiness which is lust or greed fulfilled— which is what we mean mostly by that word today, uh, that is what has to be distinguished. That, that joy is out. It's, f- it's to. It's, it's from you to others. Not with look at me. Uh, it may be a grateful joy, which is look at what I have received from others. But joy is like exclusively knowing that it's good not to be alone as a human. And in that way, I think the word comfort is a far better English because joy, it just doesn't quite do it. And by the way, tidings of comfort and joy, it's not like they're that far removed anyway. Uh, So our pursuit of comfort, that meaning the comforter, the Holy Spirit, inspiring our hearts to move our mouths with our minds to say aloud a story that we know will outlast this dying age and be glad we did it. Should we do that? Yes, with every ounce of our beans. No, not beans. Beans. I just had more trauma. No, it's not really trauma. This was a book. Stork Spills the Beans? How far out is that one? Can someone find a picture? That'd be something. We'll get that in Mad Mondays. He sent it in. Uh, Stork Spills the Beans. Uh, A book about procreation. Interesting. I, I, I had to be like five. I had to be like five. Anyway. Mm, 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 mm. So Christian hedonism, now we're, we're listening here a little bit more, is the conviction that God's ultimate goal in the world, his glory. See, and this, I'm, I'm disagreeing immediately because he's a Calvinist and he thinks God's goal is glory. Now, what he's struggling with a bit is he's realized that glory needs to be mercy. <laughs> God's goal is mercy, not glory. God's eternal being is giving, not taking. And glory, again, this is about taking, right? So so his his. Go and see what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
Um, so they're wrong about that. He's wrong about that. And so everything else is going to follow is going to be a little bit wrong as a result of him having a very legal view of, of the judge as opposed to an advocate. When your judge is your advocate, it changes things, right? So, so um, God's ultimate goal, 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 I would say, is his mercy. But our deepest desire, now, how is he reading that? Probably to mean like what's inbuilt in our nature, what most naturally comes out. Our deepest desire is to be happy. Um, content, uh, better than we are. I'm going to say it that way. And, and this is the problem again. Now we're running into an issue. It's not like you can really distinguish between us and pre-fall us. So if you want to talk about man's deepest purpose, you kind of have to know you can't even imagine it because it's so flawed now that whatever it would be is a pale shadowy reflection of it. So, if man's purpose is to receive from God what God gives, which is what I, I think that's what the orthodoxy would teach first. Man's purpose is to be a receiving, to serve God by receiving God's greater than receiving, giving. That's our, our existence, is what we're here for. Now, if you have to use the word happy to talk about that, um, but that would have been our greatest desire. And by the way, New King James would use happy very differently at that point. Um, part of our pre-fall greatest desire, that is what it was. But then the fall itself is a desire to not be that. Can you see that in the story? Can, have you read stories enough to know they have meanings? Right? Or is it just like entertaining? Right? It, it has a meaning. <laughs> it has a meaning. The fall is an attempt to be happier than Perfectly happy. By not believing, God says, there's nowhere else to go that's up. There's only just more to receive that's here. Didn't believe that. We chose to go up. And so now man's deepest desire is still to get better. That's our deepest desire. So I think he's wrong because there's two answers. Of course, you could give a third answer, which is once the Christian is regenerated, now he's got two natures. And the new one is not really the old perfect one. It's even more interesting because God's in it. Is it? <laughs> um, we'll come back to that another time, yeah? The role of personal spirit experience, knowing God's in you via word and sacrament. What does that mean for us as Lutherans? Well, I think it's just a good question to ask. Shouldn't I realize as I come up here and eat this bread and drink this wine that it is the ever-living, almighty, segregating light from darkness, killing and making alive, creator, dictator, God, who wants to join with me, flesh and blood, to make me his adopted son and heir of the coming kingdom. That should impact my thinking a touch today. And with that, I would imagine emotions would follow, right? So the only problem would be if you're too numb to hear what was said for whatever reason, didn't sleep. Then you didn't get what was said. Now again, so it's his case here though. Uh, I, I can't go with any of it because there's too many reformed terms in it. Uh, and I don't want to mince that right now because I like better your question, which is sort of like, well, he's asking this because it really is a problem. And Rather than worry about him getting the question a little bit wrong, I think it's more important to just get the question right and then try to solve the problem, right? Um, maybe we'd even help him then, 
right? Uh, reform him just because he hears the right answer. Oh, what do you think? Um, but not because we're shouting at him. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to do what he's going to do. Um, all right, so I'm going to read the last paragraph, and I'm going to ask the question again, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go. Uh, not only is God the supreme source of satisfaction, this is his, his uh, theology again, for the human soul, but God himself is glorified by our being satisfied in him. Therefore, our pursuit of joy in him is essential. Right. And so look like that. Take, give with the right hand, take with the left. Our pursuit of joy is essential. So you know you are a Christian by your joy. That sounds awful. Because as I said before, I'm pretty confident the pursuit of joy makes joy impossible because joy is always a gift from God to you that he gives you. You cannot pursue it. The fruit of the Spirit is not something you pursue. It is something that is given. You can pray for it. You can pray for it. You can read Psalms that talk about it, but you can't make it happen. Dead men don't sing unless a spirit breathes in them. And then certainly, will your will be part of it? Do you get to intellectually and emotionally participate in regeneration? Yes. And to limit that to something as I would say, minimal as the pursuit of joy. Yeah, that, that is Christian hedonism. That's nonsense. Nonsense. How about you pursue, I'm going to use the squishy term for a moment. How about you pursue a personal experience of your religion impacting and changing your affections because you believe it can? Not tomorrow. Not because you try harder, not because you pursue it, but you just keep asking and waiting and praying and believing that he's sufficient. I think we have to push on that hard. Because if there is no subjective experience of your faith, I'm not sure you have any. If you're asking the question, then you're having a subjective experience of your faith. You're asking, do I have enough faith? I'm not sure. That's a subjective experience of faith. So like, don't fall off the wagon on that one on me, okay? Um, the objective experience of faith is what the Lutherans get so right, kind of, but we kind of package it in an ethnic shrine in which the liturgy is actually entangled. And so you can get rid of the liturgy and not get rid of the ethnic shrine, which is really weird. Anyway, <laughs> Uh, the liturgy is there, again, to be this, this clock, this consistency, this redefining of you. You say, I feel this way. God says, but this is true. You say, I feel this way. He says, but this is true. And you hear it long enough. You'll start saying it to yourself in the mirror. And then that would be the definition of a personal experience of your religion. Now, I'm not saying that your religion should be talking to yourself in the mirror. I'm saying that the result of you being in Scripture at some point should be you judging yourself in the mirror with mercy and saying you're going to get over to move on eventually. And even if you don't get on, you go around the corner like, oh, I forgot already. Doesn't matter. It's not how it works. This is leaven, friends. This is leaven. It is spreading slowly. But if you don't want the clock, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm pitching my clock again. The what is the role of personal experience and affections? It needs to be tied to it. So the, again, the way the Lutherans would teach you about this, so we're going to get really technical. You have objective sub justification. You have subjective justification. You have, you have what God has done and we know to be true and there's no question about it. Um, and then you have uh, what you experience as one who believes that. Now, there are those who want to argue about whether one of these even exists. That's not what I'm talking about because they do. You experience justification. 
as a human, a, a fleshly one that hates it and never loves it, but isn't necessarily in charge all the time. Um, and, and then a, a righteous one who is constantly being forgiven. And so learning the real value of it in a way that one who's not forgiven could never see. And so learning to see others. That's a personal experience of you believing that you're risen from the dead and immortal, and so nothing can harm you now, so there's nothing to lose. You might as well throw yourself wholeheartedly in the scriptures. Just, just, just throw your body, in it. wave surf, no, wave surf, body surf on it. Heart, mind, soul into it. And trust him. And you will have a personal experience. It's not going to be the same for everyone, and yet it will not be so distinct that you will not recognize the spirit when you see it, because you're going to hear the same words. We've tried to run Christianity on pictures for quite a while. You know that, right? We're doing it right now, still a little bit. Although you need an image, you need someone to imitate, you need a leader to follow, that's what your pastor's supposed to be there for. We've listened to pictures a lot, a lot, a lot. So all this kind of talk about how to find happiness just reeks of Americanism then, right? And I'm not sure that's what he's doing. I don't want to even say that's what he's doing. I haven't read him directly enough. Um, And I can say I disagree significantly with a lot that he says. Um... But I think that we stand at a crossroads where we're either going to jump on with the hive mind that tells us how to think every day and just keeps ramping up you know, the taxes and the caffeine, or we're going to take a step back and be like, you know what? I can live without some of this. I can live without some of this. And I can put in its place the Word of God. And that would be to be a Christian. That is not to become one. It's not like if you don't do it, you're not one. It's just what a Christian eventually is going to do. Because God's going to give it to you. And if this is the moment where he's like, he's got you, like your, your, your inner heart and mind and breath and body, like I'm going to do this thing. Well, I'll do it. I don't expect like that you won't have to repent again later. I mean, <laughs> this ain't your third baptism. It doesn't work that way because that stuff doesn't work, right? no. It's food for the journey. It's a step along the path. It's one more claw in which you have exposed (laughs) your tendencies, which tend toward selfishness and evil. Yet with a a counterpunch of the word of God that you know so certainly that you can push down against yourself with it and tell yourself you're a liar, then you can also tell everyone else the truth in a way that maybe doesn't expect so much of them. And let me contend the LCMS, that's our problem. We expect too much of you before we're willing to talk to you. And we want you to convert to our language before we'll teach you. Um, and it's, it's, it's elitism. It's a class thing, I think. Uh, has to do with a history of music and, um, uh, and not, not just music, though. Like organizational polity, uh, a way of seeing our place in the world, kind of thinking Lutheranism had arrived at last because the history of Lutheranism in Europe is not the history of Lutheranism. It's the history of the Reformed taking over Lutheran churches with swords and driving the Lutherans to America where they tried it, right? And it's, just, it's like, oh, we've arrived. But no, we didn't. And we brought a lot of the problems with us too. So just, you know, that's all there. What do you want at your church then? You want a personal experience that impacts your affections with what the scriptures really say in such a way that doesn't hide. Oh, wrong. <laughs> in such a way that doesn't hide both your sinful condition and the fact that you're not condemned, and that you, you can and should do something about it. Namely, pray again. Do that. Do that. Do it again. When do you th- do you think you're going to get to a point where you stop? 
if that's how you're doing it, I mean, it, it, what roller coaster do you get on with the intention of getting off sooner? Like, as soon as I'm off this thing. Try making the words of God in the Psalms come out of your mouth out loud every single day, and you're on a roller coaster you won't be able to control because the Spirit of God will inhabit you. It's just it. He already is inhabiting you, but now you're going to, like, let him talk. He's just going to drive you deeper into the Scriptures because you're going to go, what does this mean? And you're going to ask somebody. <laughs> right? And it goes and it goes and it goes. Uh, um, uh, questions have been great. What do we have for time? We've got about 15 minutes left. I'm going to take another like one-minute break, drink the rest of my water, and come back. We'll figure out what to close up the morning with. Um, if there are any questions, you can put it in the next moment down at the bottom. It'll be the first place my lazy bum looks, so try to do that if you can. We'll be right back. Because I saw Annabelle said this, and I can't take it. I can't take it. No, it's not our work. It's not our work. It's not our work. If you heard me say that, you didn't hear me right. I didn't say that. I never said that. I never will say that. So if you heard me say that, it means you're hearing me wrong. Listen again and listen 15 times and take some notes. It's not your work. It's a gift you experience as your life that then involves things you do, which are sometimes work. I'll be right back. And Annabelle, you probably were talking about Piper too, weren't you? I guarantee you, you were talking about Piper. So that's a bit erratic. I got my water. I got my coffee. I barely even drank my coffee this morning. Just managed to spill it again. I... I... If I were to decide right now just to tell you that I never spill coffee, I don't. I was born the reincarnation of Jackson Pollock. And I realized that my agenda had not been truly realized. And the only solution was to pretend to spill coffee all over the world. Staining it with blotches as my greatest achievement. And if you question me on this, I think you're crazy. It's fun to be a storyteller. Let me tell you, I want to close up the morning though a little bit by, oh, where to go, where to go? I want to come back to this for a second. Talk a little bit more about this. We'll talk about Sons of Solomon, just kind of updates in general. Uh, Mad Discord, I, I, I pitched it to you earlier. I haven't been there this week because of the overhaul in the, in the studio. Um, but it continues to grow as a place with multiple channels for finding people with niches that are like yours and overlap with a devotion to your faith. Uh, that is to say that the people there are wanting to pursue a biblical Christianity and to learn from each other, recognizing there's a pretty wide diversity out there in Catholic Christianity and that some of us really should be serious, serious enough, like it is serious enough that we should be divided, that we should not gather together in all forms of openness to claim a unity that does not exist. Uh, that is a reality, and, and the Mad Christian Discord will continue to acknowledge that reality and believe that the only unifying factor we can possibly go to is the Word of God. Why do I confess the Lutheran Confessions? Because they confess what the Word of God says. So if I can't convince you from the Word of God, what could I, do the Confessions do? If I can convince you from the Word of God to listen to me, you should read the Confessions. You really should. They're great, right? But, but first, got to use the first thing, right, uh, to come at it. Um, Ah, super chat. You're throwing me off, throwing me off. So, so Sons of Solomon is something that then is piggybacking on the Mad Christian Discord. Mad Christian Discord, again, is a network for you to interface with other faithful Catholic Christians who want to grow. Um, the, uh, the Sons of Solomon is the same thing taken to approximate level. That is, we want to build local men's groups all over the country dedicated primarily to being Christian men. There are some symbols we have. You carry a crucifix, you carry a Bible, you find yourself a prayer book, or 
some kind of prayer tool, something you're going to use with your Bible, right? With your Bible. Um, and you carry that with you and then you pray these Psalms with us. Uh, why the crucifix? Because really, if you're an iconoclast, I don't know why you'd want to listen to me. <laughs> I really don't. I am like the worst kind of false teacher, uh, especially in my preaching of the sacrament too. I mean, you have to see it as the greatest iconoclasm. So, uh, and if you don't, I think you're being illogical. Uh, but you know, trying to make it simple to join because all we want is as many men in as many places praying those Psalms every day for a year because, I mean, think about it. Should I say it again? Did, did, did you check out so you missed the lead up? All we want, really, Sons of Solomon, is our, is our first ambition is to get a year of men across the country, across the planet, praying, Christian men, praying the same Psalms as a clock for their life every day for a year. Because you think that's going to hurt? How could it not make us just explode in the best of ways? Imagine meeting other Christians from across wherever, and you all know you prayed the same thing that morning. Oh, you haven't tried them yet. You should. They're, they're like, they're like crack. Uh, I'm not kidding. It really, they are the most amazing thing. Psalms of Ascent. Uh, did we ever get a link to that? There will be a link in Mad Mondays. As always, just to sign up for Mad Mondays at uh, redfist.com slash newsletter. Um, and uh, someone should be reaching out to you. If you want to get into the Mad Christian Discord, you should be able to do it from the chat. Uh, or is it in the link below? It's been a while since I looked at that. All right. Cringe Rocker says this. I, uh, thanks for the super chat. I don't have theology questions today, but do you have... Uh, monastery recommendations for spending during the election. Yes. Um, I'd like to be uh, just, I'd like to just be away from the chaos and come back a week later, whatever it be. Well, do you know that there is a Lutheran monastery that is a retreat center near Detroit? And it's not bad. They don't even charge you and they'll feed you. You got to eat what they serve. And it'd be nice if you left a cash gift and they let you, they don't let you, but you should know that too. If you go, you know, hundred bucks, what you spend somewhere else. So, um, but what's neat about it is they do pray the hours and there's times of significant silence. So if you really are wanting to escape, uh, St. Augustine's house, just outside Detroit, it's not a bad little retreat. Um, should you be in communion with them? Probably not. Probably not. So, um, but uh, they're Lutherans that have a monastery. It's a weird thing. Uh, but you're really asking about, you know, what what are my plans? What am I doing to my bunker? Yes. You know, it, it hit me yesterday. I hadn't thought about voting early, not by mail, because I like to think I'm a free person in a free country and it won't be a problem on November 3rd. But I think I'm being stubborn a little bit too. Uh, On cue, Illinois is being locked down, uh, or at least attempted to. I don't think it's really working. Uh, The spiking second wave, so so to speak. Um, The idea that that could be used in two weeks, it doesn't escape my thought. I don't think it's real though. I think that's a little bit much for this era. Maybe they do it. That'd wake everybody up. I wake me up real loud. I'd be screaming about that then. So, you know, um, my plan is still to just vote on election day. I'm going to wear patriotic gear. Um, I'm not going to carry any particular thing. I'm going to look like I'm an American citizen. And uh, I'm going to show my respect to vets because uh, <laughs> um, I have a deep respect for them. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to cast my vote. So, yeah, I mean, am I planning to go out? On into the in the you know the narrow most darkest parts of the world in the next three days. No, not really. 
No, I'm not really planning to go out for Halloween either. And this is completely superstitious on my part, but uh, do your blue moon research. And, and it's, it's a strange thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, Halloween has, has got me a little more nerve wracked because I think that will have something to do uh, with, with at least uh, uh, the chaos. The chaos that comes out of those three days leading up to the election is, I think, more dangerous than post because you don't know where it could be post. If there's looting and rioting, I think you can know where those things will be. If you are, by the way, if you happen to live in a house where you make, you make a hundred to 2000, 200, $300,000 a year. I, it doesn't matter where you are. I can say that. I can say that. I'd be here. Okay. Let's imagine you live in a house that only 15% of the population in your small city can own. And the other 85% cannot own this house and cannot even imagine the life you live in. You cannot imagine the life they live in. In history, when there are events that involve raping, pillaging, destroying of cities, the people who get hurt are people who live in those houses, the houses that are in semi-wealthy neighborhoods in cities that collapse. So if you're really concerned, I'm dead serious. If you actually are concerned about this, I don't live there. So it's not my concern. But that's where I'd be worried about, again, kind of looting, that kind of thing. Um, I saw something tweeted out about a uh, warning Saks Fifth Avenue about it, like, uh, that they, they put out a notice telling them to board up their windows. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think it's fear mongering and I think the tenor is just too high, honestly, uh, for what's really going on. What, what's really going on is the attempt to, uh, well, bankrupt the country so that we will vote him out, <laughs> uh, and put back in the, uh, federal organizations that, tell the politicians what to do and politicians who will listen to the federal organizations that don't like what he did. And I honestly don't even know if what he did was good. I just think maybe the dystopic nightmare is more true than people over 51 realize. Um, but Hey, whatever. Um, does that mean hide? No, it means like stand up, get off your couch, stop watching TV the false story, try to figure out what the real story is get involved with what matters. You'll find what matters is not whether you vote. Honestly, I mean, I shouldn't say that. What matters is not whether you vote Trump or Biden. I mean, I shouldn't say that either because uh, pro-life really does matter. And this is the most it's ever mattered. And if you're too proud to see that, I'm sorry. Um, but usually the last 40 years that, that got us to the point, what really matters is voting local politicians who are pro-life. That's what it matters. That's what you should be doing. Going out and finding them, talking to them. Who can you actually meet? It's possible. They want to meet you. If they're actually local, especially if they're a pro-life not incumbent, they really want to know who you are. You should go meet them. Help them. That's what matters. Vote for them. Straight party ticket is not great advice. It's not great advice. Straight pro-life ticket, that is, I would consider, fairly essential advice. Fairly essential. Can you be a Christian and not vote pro-life, intentionally vote against pro-life? I think I'm going to let Jesus judge you, and I'm going to say... My assessment is you're not thinking about it. God bless you. I love you, brother. You should think about it more. <laughs> uh, life. If that ain't an issue, the others aren't issues. It's, it's just that easy. So um, what I'll be doing, I'll be voting life across the ticket, which means I have to vote for Trump because Biden is a radical abortionist. I had no choice. doesn't matter what else the guy's done. I really don't have a choice. So uh, th- th- that's what I'll be doing. Um, and I'll be voting, again, that ticket that is the pro-life ticket locally. I will vote against the tax increase on all of Illinois as a constitutional amendment that they can continue to change it whenever they like. And I don't 
I, I can't fathom. Oh, they're paying people to vote is what they're doing. I, I know how Chicago works and, and it's just brutal. But anyway, it might get knocked down because there's, there's a lot of anger in, in Illinois uh, over businesses that have been shut down, uh, small business uh, and industry. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but generally, I mean, my plan then saying all this is not to go anywhere, live with my family. It's what I normally do. I, I preach. Um, I visit people if, if they need it. I, I go and meet people when, when we have something to do. And then I come home and I study the Bible and I, I, I think about making videos and you know all that kind of stuff, right? Just keep doing that. Um, because I found that the quiet life isn't something you only need during a crisis. Uh, the quiet life is really something you want all the time. There's a great story from, I think, hmm, it's not from Guns, Germs, and Steel. I shouldn't give him that much credit. I don't think that's what it's from. Uh, maybe it's just some antidote from a missionary. But it was about, which means, you know, usually kind of half true, um, a Western gentleman attempting to convert an indigenous gentleman uh, in a 1950s, 1960s, 1980s era to giving up his life as a fisherman, going to school, becoming something more than that. And when the guy said, well, why would I do this? Uh, he was he was told, well, if you go to school, you know, get the education that you need, well, then you will be able to get a job, a better job, a real job. And he says, uh, you know, why, why would I do that? And he said, well, then you would have, you would have money. So right now you don't have money. Then you would have money. He said, what would I do with the money? He said, you would buy a better house, a big one, huh? and a big life filled with exciting things. And um, the guy said, well, why would I do that? And he said, well, because then you could take it easy and, and spend time with your family and not to worry about all those other things. And the guy said, I do that already. And, that, you know, any parable you can push over if you really want to get logical about it and make it into like a final arbiter of all truth. But there's some real wisdom in that thing. And I, I commend it to you, uh, especially this 2020. The irony of 2020 eyesight should not be lost on you. You should not. Magical realism exists. God's alive. It's not proof he exists. It's not like some scientific vigor, right? Not, it's not industrialized knowledge. It is the subjective experience of irony as testimony to the divine nature existing design. You can't have irony without design. And it's, it's amazing when he does. So it's really of all years, 2020. I mean, could it be? <laughs> what? Anyway, um, it, you can't build on that. You can't build on that. That's there to deceive the nations, by the way. Please understand this. What I'm laughing at is that kind of quinky dink, if you build a religion out of it, that's all the other religions. Yeah. But you can see the quinky dink. And you'd be like, oh, that was a quinky dink. Wow, nature's crazy. Let's study nature more. Right? Let's, let's understand the gift that it is, not, what, not the box of Legos to destroy that we kind of tend to make it. So I don't know. Did I answer your question? You threw me on a tangent for that one, and that pushes us to the 11 o'clock hour. Um... I did mention I wanted to talk about this just a touch more. So we're going to go and I'm going to give you a little bonus content this morning here and review what I opened with from my book, Talk Them Into It, uh, The Truth About Making Christians. Continuing to sell at the robust pace of two to four copies a day, which is like like we're on target, people. This is this is it because what happens right now is it's like two, 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 seven, two, 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 five, two. You know what that means? I think that means people are buying more than one because they're coming back. That's what I think. So it's, it's a good thing. And it, what you discover when you stop trying to read it like the latest fictional novel and instead read it like The Art of War um, is that it has a way of convicting you with 
the natural law about human conversation that we can observe. And then reminding you that there is no better use for human conversation than to say that he has risen from the dead. One more time. Uh, Now, as you strive to believe that to be true, that's not easy. And so the the chapters are built as devotions to be returned to, uh, to remind you of what you already know. So there is a weave going on. It's going to read more like 1 John than like Luke, right? Or even than Paul. Uh, So uh, let your common sense be evident to all. This is Paul's words, right? He wants our reasonableness. He wants people to know Christians because they just, they make sense when they talk. It's quite a, it's quite a stunning thing to suggest. You know, the rabbis pull this off, by the way. Rabbis are world renowned for their wisdom. So I'm told, at least, never really talked to one. But I would imagine if you study Proverbs and Hebrew long enough, you're going to figure a few things out. Yeah. Let your common sense be evident to all. Keep it simple, right? So now we're talking about a conversation in which you hope to convert someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to Jesus. Keep it simple. Like, the wider and more varied the conversation on the topic gets, the more unprepared you will be, the more likely a argument that is tertiary, it's secondary, appears to be a primary argument and so discourages you or ends the conversation. So the conversation needs to stay focused on the things that really matter. Now, a lot of that, as you're going to see throughout the book, initially is not Jesus. It's whatever they think they want to talk about. <laughs> you got to let them get it all out first. Uh, you got you to listen long enough to their lie to be like, oh, and then why? And then their lie will fall apart. Yeah. And you have to listen long enough to be able to, be able to see it, though. And you will because you're a Christian. You're going to be like, oh, that didn't make any sense. You'll go look it up. You'll go figure it out. Yeah. So keep it simple. Fear no man either. You got to know you're a different species. Christians are a different species than non-Christians. We're also the same species as non-Christians. Like we're double. Right? We got two. Uh, we should fear no one least of all those who aren't Christians. And Christians we shouldn't fear because Jesus is going to judge them. So, I mean, you know, they want to like cheat on that. It's on them. <laughs> you know? So, so in everything by whisper and groan, you should be praying for dying men. The whole point of this is that whatever you're doing, you're living because Jesus lives. And you know you're here on earth because you're going to die saying Jesus lives. And really the only reason to keep any of this pain going the way it is is because there's some Jesus wants to save who haven't been saved yet. Maybe you should care about that. With thanksgiving in your heart for Jesus, beg for the souls of your countrymen, your children, and the age. And I really mean that. I I don't know. I'm, a, I'm your fool, right? My, I've said this before. My, my last year at the seminary, I almost didn't go into the ministry. I was ready to be done. I saw politically institutionally, organizationally, it was going to be a complete hazard to my life with my family. Straight up. I remember talking with a couple buddies. One of us, we want to start like a, a microbrew, microbrew and cheese tasting place, right? It was the right time for it too. Uh, but what, what happened was I couldn't get out of my head that there were less churches than there were 20 years before, less Christians than there were 20 years before, less pastors than there were 20 years before, and more pastors preaching not the Bible than there were 
20 years before. And I, I started to wonder, if I don't do this now, why do I assume there's going to be a church for my kids? I see the need. I see the task. I don't want the task. I see the task. I wanted the task. Now I know the task. I don't want the task. But I see the task. And I submitted myself to ordination. Because the souls of my countrymen, my children, my children, and the age are all bound to each other. And then, you know, that's a sad thought and a happy thought at the same time because when the binding is this, that the peace which God alone declares, that that is a gift, a blessing, a promise that will guard your heart in Christ in the promises themselves. And again, the water makes it pretty evident something happened. Like you're wet afterwards, right? Like, oh, I got baptized. <laughs> so so the, the promise there, the peace that's there is a promise to guard your heart as you enter these conversations and these prayers. And so pray knowing that you are a different species from the rest of the world insofar as you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit and they are not. And then with thanksgiving for that, plead that they would be knowing that the shalom, the, the, the peace of Jesus, the declaration of Jesus is sufficient to keep you in it with the promise that, again, Christianity promises conversion, proximity. It happens. Not by our trying, but by his words out of our mouths. And then this is kind of the, the, the gist for the day, though. So that means that to have these conversations is going to lead us into conversations that get away from the simplicity of what we know and want to talk about. Which means we have to rethink who we are in the conversation. The tendency is to think of yourself as the master in the conversation. But uh, what, what talk them into it is going to convince you of is that you really want to be the disciple in the conversation. It's, it's the position of true power, honestly. And only Christianity can understand this, I think. But um, you want to be the disciple, especially if you want to change someone's mind. Um, at least unless they're coming to you openly because you only want to be a master of someone who wants you to be their master. Like you really don't want to teach anybody who doesn't want you to teach them. Like you can't, they won't let you, they, they fight it. Uh, so um, that's why then it's important to remember that you can listen to somebody else tell you about all sorts of stuff and learn from it. And it's from God. It's what he gave you to the world. So if something's noble, true, and it's the language is so pretty, it's just from Paul, uh, just pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, worthy of praise, meditate on this as a beloved creation that you can use to build a bridge of trust between yourself and somebody else. So as you keep simple what you want to say and you fear no man, because you know you are of a different, a forward uh, elevation and an enlightenment of the species, knowing that the, the inspiring peace that is not felt first but declared first from God to you is with you, then know that whatever conversation you're in, whenever you're in it, if you listen attentively to the person, you're going to learn something valuable about the world and you might be able to ask a question of pertinent spiritual insight that would stir them. But you only can do that when you dwell on these things with them for a time and see how, because they're not a Christian, they must make them more a God than you ever would. I talked earlier about worshiping the clock, right? Yeah. Well, imagine if you're not a Christian, then it's really all you got. Ouch. Ouch. You know? So, you know, have pity on your enemies and then realize your enemies love a lot of good things. And if you really want to talk to them about what you know is the ultimate good thing, you can't go in and say, all your good things suck. 
you have to go in and, and say, hey, how are your good things? And they're like, oh, they're so good. They're my gods. You're like, oh, really? Oh, can you show me? Like, show me how the gods. And then they're like, oh, it does this. It shoots lightning. And it, it doesn't shoot lightning. You're like, oh, well, it doesn't shoot lightning. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. I never thought about that before. <laughs> you know, it's not that simple because it's, it's diverse, right? It's, it's what, uh, what each conversation is going to go into. But that general idea that they don't know they're worshiping something that's tangible. They think they're just independent thinkers, but they're worshiping substantial stuff and it causes them crisis and adrenaline and trauma and all these other things, right? That we all get, but they're getting it without the clock of the word of God and the clock of the sacrament. Yeah, what a terrifying thing. Why would you not at least want these people to hear about Jesus? Because you're afraid somehow by your desiring for them to hear about Jesus, you've become a works righteousness person? I mean, really? Are you that afraid of like Jesus? <laughs> and do you think he's not in charge? I'm not saying go out and teach false teaching or put up with it. I don't think I do. But we shouldn't be distracted by it. And we certainly shouldn't, shouldn't fail to be orthodox actively because of fear of accidentally becoming heterodox. That's burying the talent in the sand. I, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. You know, the fire in the bones. It's got to come out. We got another super chat. Thank you for this, Jedi Anakin uh, Cringe Walker. He says this. Um, oh, just a quick recommendation to read Nicholas Gomez de Villa. Uh, he's got a short book of wisecracks that include genius lines like dying societies accumulate laws like dying men accumulate remedies. The truth. That is good. That's very good. How interesting. That reminds me of something that was said. Hmm. Might have been by one of you in the chill. Um, I think it was. It was Ryan, right? It was Ryan last week. He said something like, uh, it's like after you confess the faith one generation and then confess it two and confess it three, that third generation's so removed from the original that trying to learn all that came actually throws you off the original. You spend more time in all the compile on top of the font. And you need to get it off, right? You need to start with the original and then go out from there. And that's why even like the Reformation it becomes overwhelmed. If you've got to know all of Luther and all of Walther and all of Kemen's, like, like who can do this? Um, our, our Christianity must be more uh, daily bread than that. Uh, even though there are great men of the past and history, history is a work that pastors should be attentive to. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. You guys, you guys are great. We got amazing talent watching this show, and I look forward to seeing what happens again. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like that fifth time this morning. I look forward to seeing what happens again when the Mad Christian Discord really starts to move and some of the projects that you've been dreaming about doing for years happen without me even being part of it, right? It's just like you meet each other there and you do stuff. Now, if you ever want the Mad Christian logo slapped on something, you want us to promote it, there's a different level. I'm going to ask for quality and excellence and all that. But the idea of the Mad Christian Discord is just to be there for you guys to work together. And if you want to start a channel and do some stuff, like, I mean, if you're plotting the takedown of world governments, I'm going to kick you out, right? I mean, really, but, but by and large, aside from that, the goal is just for you to network and work on your projects uh, in a system built for people who work on projects is what Discord is. So, uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for thinking that what I say is valuable enough to give your time to. I mean, there's just not enough time. There isn't. And it's been taken from us more and more without our realizing it. The fact that you will give me your attention, that you would take notes, uh, you would try to put it into practice. It's a great deal of trust, and I recognize that. The fact that you would send me five bucks a month or whatever, that, that, that you know, Patreon, um, that is too, but not as much as just listening. Honestly, that's, that's when you send me Patreon, when you're on my Patreon, I, I know you're on board now, right? Like, 
you want to grow and you want others to grow you have. And even if you have to leave at some point, even if you leave because you don't like me at a certain point, it still was part of your growth pattern and it moved you closer to God, I pray, right? So that's, that's, that's a different thing. But just to give me your time to tune in in a world of notification syndrome where everybody else wants you to pay attention, um, I consider it a, a deep honor. And I think a lot of my past anxieties about this show and hiding myself from it or maybe um how do i say you don't know that i'm nervous before or why i'm nervous before when i come on and i pretend not to be nervous uh but there is a great deal of anxiety and nervousness that goes on and i think some of it is tied to an awareness of that burden of trust that you've given me um and and not wanting to fail on that in some way we live in precarious times i'm one man trust not in princes for pity's sakes uh and and so um, I, thank you again. It's just, it's just, it's a grave honor. And I mean that with all the number of your days wisdom of the Bible that I can throw into it, uh, because the grave's not the end of us. So I'm not afraid of talking about it. I, I will say this. I was in a great conversation recently with a Baptist friend of ours. She's a marvelous lady. She does talk about Jesus the way we talked about earlier. And it's marvelous. And she'll just say praise Jesus in her life. And she means it. And, and she's got a great devotional life compared to a lot of people that I know. And after God bless her. Staying with us for a couple of days. She said, you guys are always talking about death. What is it with you and death? Why are you always talking about death? And I, I was like, I don't, I don't, we're not morbid people. I don't know what she's talking about. I started listening. We do. We bring it up all the time. We joke about it. Let me contend to you that while evangelical Christianity may be talking about Jesus a lot, they're not really talking about the resurrection ever. <laughs> and so death's still scary. And once you get that resurrection stuff from earlier in the hour, right? Death, I mean, it's still scary. Um, but like, not like you couldn't, it's not Voldemort. <laughs> you know, you know, talk about it, scoff at it, uh, understand it, not fear it. That's the key. And so thank you for, again, the gravity, the attention you've given me. I'm going to endeavor now to not fear it, but embrace it. And I pray today's show has been part of that. I pray that you joining Sons of Solomon makes that explode. And I, I am confident that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it in completion, into completion on the day of Christ Jesus, which is why you're just wasting your time wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope. You should lift up your eyes. Stand with me. Join as you see the day approaching. Mad Christianity, just say some psalms and say he is risen. You have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the other side. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>